This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Hello there again, everyone. Welcome in to episode 244 of Film Tank. As per usual, Alex Diekman here with you, along with Nick Cheney. Hey, how are you? Doing oh. pretty well, man. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I want the audience to know that when you made that noise just now, you uh-huh. were also winking your right eye. Thank you. That was very specific and well, appreciated. We have, you know, I mean, there's a discrepancy between what the audience knows happens during the recording of Film Tank and what the reality is. And I want to bridge that gap. But here's the one thing. Okay. Like the last like 15 or so episodes that we've done before yeah. last week. Right. I've we been did yes. on Skype. So all of those gestures have been happening without us knowing the other person is doing it. That is true. But now that I have this information, what am I supposed to do? Just sit on it? Hey, sit on it. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where I was going with that. So that's all fine. That's fine. Uh, Tucson, Egan, not here with us. So his chair is empty. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, his, his chair. I, it, I only say that. And I'm not like trying to single him out, but it is tough because like his, like when we have a guest, they sit in a different spot and it's Tucson's true. is just vacant. His spirit is just right there. It, it, well, luckily, we don't put the photo of Venom up anymore to signify that he's not there. I only did that, that one there. time. Oh, I think we did it a couple times. <laughs> oh, that's just because we never took it down. <laughs> that's also possible because it was I mean, a string a of episodes. when you really think about it. <laughs> and he's... Once again, this is just a test to see if Toussaint listens. We'll never hear about this, <laughs> so that's fine. He'll also be replaced by, uh, what's her name, uh, at some point here. Anna? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, so I just random. I didn't know if you meant that like r- in reality. <laughs> oh, you meant in a in a venom yeah. capacity. The the, the um oh. the, is it Michelle Williams? We can who, edit that part. Who's going to play late? No, I think it's pretty great. Who's playing Lady Venom? Uh, in is the, she really? In the, yeah. I mean, I knew she was going to be. I just thought she was just. I know they'll be both in it, but at the same time, okay. Yeah, I'm okay with I think that. Tom Hardy, if that keeps going, he might be out, which is yeah, fine. He doesn't seem to. Although Fury Road, he kind of shared, so he's also out of that. Although that stupid interview that I think both or no Charlie Theron gave, where he was like, or she was like, yeah, we were both big personalities and we had to learn to like really share. And I was like, what? I'm like <laughs> Tom Hardy doesn't have to share shit. Like he's a nobody. I mean, I know he's a whatever, but I'm like. You know, I'm like, you're the star here, but anyway. Well, yeah, Tom Hardy is a fucking, uh, he is a supporting actor. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he played the part of Max, uh, but he was not the star in his movie. Did he play Max? Like, do they ever actually call him Max? 
Um, I, I was just genuinely curious. I think I it's more assumed. I, I think it's assumed for sure. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Anyways, even though Toussaint uh, has left his spot open for this episode, our good friend Dan Jeremy Brooks has joined us. On any given Sunday. That was a wonderful rendition of that Thank song. You. Yeah, I thought you guys would enjoy my soulful that made me cry. impression of Jimmy Fox doing the theme hey, song. You know what? I'm 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 happy that you went with that one oh, and man. not the Ja Rule song from the middle of that movie. <laughs> that, that's a that's a Willie Beeman song. Yeah, that's, that's no, no. Oh, no, no. Okay. Wow. Because I was Beeman? actually yes when I was watching the I movie. Got the girls all cream and. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you could try to f- no corn creaming corn not just creaming. I thought he said straight. Cre- oh, okay, no and, corn. And, and the best part right. about that is that whole music video is just a metrics ad. So that's great. <laughs> well, that's what he means by corn creaming. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's great. I do love, and we're, we're we're talking about the movie Any Given Sunday. We're not barely. <laughs> oh, we are talking about it. Yes. Yeah, but we're 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 kind of starting already. Uh, anyways, I do love later in the film, like it's an hour after you've seen that he made that commercial and, uh, Al Pacino and, uh, Jim Brown see it for the first time when they're like shit faced in a bar. They're just looking up, watching this just complete abomination of a commercial. Am I racist for thinking that Jim Brown is Ving Rhames' father? No, you're not. Because I, like, I, I don't want to fall into the trap of like, you know, like people look like each other, whatever. But genuinely, I actually had to look it up because I was like, did Vic Rames like not only join this movie, but then like beef up because it didn't quite look like him. But there it looked, dude, I, I don't I'll, know. They have a weird resemblance. I'll tell you what. Numerous times watching this movie, and I guess this maybe is somewhat recency bias, but I kept thinking, man, he really looks like Delroy Lindo. Can see that a little bit. It's, well, a, it's a it's a tad racist. I think, but you know I what? Think, <laughs> mine wasn't racist. Yours was. Uh, I think we can agree you're both pretty racist. That's true. Yeah. Who did you okay. think Jim Brown looked like? <laughs> Honestly, I've just known who Jim, Jim Brown Bro. was for so long that I he looks like Jim. The, I mean, turn his mic off. Like even when he's a young man, he still looked like that. Except he didn't have sunglasses. Okay, so here's and, the thing. In fact, he's in. Uh, he got game. He's wearing the same damn sunglasses. Another great sports film. It's so better, better the Spike one. Lee movie, right? Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, I actually watched that for the first time this year. Remember, he's like talking to Denzel, and he's like, "You puke in the back. You're gonna lick up every little bit." And I was like, Ooh, "Oh, he played man. one of the cops." Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. And then he went on to that play one movie. of uh, Trump's cronies, which is really fun. Oh, he was yes, in that yes, Oval yes, Office yes. meeting with Kanye last uh, year, yeah. where he just sits there and he's got a—he doesn't say anything. He's got this cane. He's resting his hand on this cane. And he's just like. I've made a terrible mistake. Like Job, you know? Yeah, you think so. I hope so. Um, anyways, so Emily had like three or four really good additions to the movie when we were watching it. Because I think we watched it before together, but she wasn't really paying attention then. You watched it quite a few times in the last like year or so. Yeah, this was probably like three years ago that we watched it. And then I watched this about two months ago or a month and a half ago or so and then I watched it again recently I was going to say I didn't think you were actually going to rewatch it because you, oh, you had already watched it like whatever and then I was like oh no look at that he watched it I did and uh, I watched it with Emily and she wasn't really paying attention just like she was not really paying attention the first time we watched it mm. which is totally fine yeah. but she did pick up on a few things and I will get to uh, a couple other of them a couple other of the instances later in the episode 
But the one that does make sense to what Dan was just bringing up is she kept talking about how Jim Brown's sunglasses didn't fit his head. And she's like, why can he not? Like, he's he's obviously got a lot of money. Why can he not afford sunglasses that go all the way around his ears? When like, they, other they, things on his mind. When you're that rich, sometimes nobody has the heart to tell you. Like, if, if you had friends who were really good friends, yeah. they'd be like... Jim, 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 your sunglasses Jim, are sitting on the top of your right, ears. Jim, like they can, they make ones that go all the way back. Right. They'd be like, Jim, don't, don't go out there, my friend. Please <laughs> don't go out there. We, we got to get you real sunglasses first because yeah, these true. look awful and silly. If you're going to die, you die hard. What? <laughs> yeah. When he kept saying, when he said it again, he said, die hard. I'm like, I know. I was like, that wasn't like, necessary. He was well, audi- was he's, like, a, he's auditioning. I was going to say, I'm like, okay, so that's a movie already in the lexicon. Yes. So why are we emphasizing this? <laughs> right. It, well, actually, my probably one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is him going, I don't get strokes. Strokes get me. You know, which is something <laughs> oh, that, yeah. like, actually, I've heard a lot of guys in sports say over the years but something about the way he, it'll be like i don't get heart attacks you know what i mean or whatever yeah. i don't i don't get the clap the clap gets or whatever oh yeah <laughs> do a lot of people in sports say that at least one <laughs> at least one i know of anyway um but i, it's I probably lawrence I, taylor oh no it wasn't it was somebody i knew it wasn't actually like yeah <laughs> this was hurt firsthand anyway <laughs> now he may have been conjecturing anyway but my point is i love that part where he's like you know he's like they think you're nothing but shit they're gonna run on you know your face and rip your face off and piss on it. I don't know what he says, but it, it's something like that. Clearly, <laughs> you're just saying words now. No, but it's it's that's as cogent as he gets in that scene. Mm-hmm. Any given speech. Any given speech. So before we get to Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday, uh, I just want to take a few minutes to talk about uh, the ongoing phenomenon, which is. Attempting to open movie theaters during the uh, COVID pandemic that appears to be pretty much driven by Christopher Nolan. And I got to say, I'm getting really fed up with it. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, it's fine because you don't have to participate. But it's not fine. It's not, it, well, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. It's, it's hard because I've like tried so hard during this whole thing to not judge people for their personal decisions but it's yeah. but at the same time I'm also judging every single decision that everybody makes <laughs> yeah it's but, hard not to yeah so Christ- like this is the perfect storm of bad things to happen to Christopher Nolan was to have this happen in a year that he was releasing a film. But at least it happened to him and not some indie director. Or I mean, I mean, yeah, it did happen. Some, to some but first but they couldn't. They couldn't make a dent. Right. They they couldn't force theaters to open to show their movie like he has. And the and the fact that the he's been so so stringent, so matter of fact about this has almost ruined him for me in a way. I completely agree and I think ultimately the 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 latest thing and really the final nail in the coffin and I don't mean that in the sense that I'll never see his movies again or I now but don't like his typically movies. Typically you don't care for his work I would say. Typically I don't care for him oh, that's but fair. I do like quite a bit of his movies oh, uh sorry. but 
when a movie is, I would say, explicitly him, mm. then I kind of get whatever. But when I think he teams up with his brother, he's okay, mm. or with another person. Like in Following or something like that? No, or, or Following or... I hate. Oh, Following wasn't his brother. Memento was the one his brother wrote yes. the short story. Memento right. was, and then obviously with the Batman movie, technically there was another person writing. Uh, that was like, what, David uh, Goyer? Goyer? Yes. Yeah. I, was, I okay. almost almost always say I. It all went off the rails after Wally Pfister left. Yeah. He ruined uh, his career. Pfister, oh, what a name. Um, but the thing about Nolan right now with this pandemic is th- the thing that broke me is the fact that you say you want to save theaters. You say you want to do this noble thing, which I'm obviously all for. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, he was part of a league of like Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson. Scorsese. And, yeah, Scorsese, yeah. Of people who really wanted to And then Scorsese and, sold out. Yeah, a little bit. Who did he? Uh, I mean, sold out only in the sense of like going to Netflix and basically being okay ah. with that. But I also kind of feel like that's Scorsese being who he's always been, which is kind of a maverick. Like, I mean, he's made a children's film, he's made a horror film. Right. He just does what he wants. I think he, he also to do. can read the room and yeah. know that this is coming if I, whether I like it or not. And mm. The Irishman was one of the greatest films of last year. So Absolutely. it's like, it's not like that actually did compromise him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, if, if we, we're saying he sold out, we got to say like Bong Joon Ho and and, uh, oh, the Coen brothers, and, and I just I don't. Uh, uh, it's uh, one uh, of those things on, upon yeah. first glance. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. But Christopher Nolan, you know, for you know defending celluloid, you know, doing all these things, whatever. For him to be so gung ho about getting theaters to open up for Tenet, but for there to be an actual clause that says no drive-in theater can show the movie Tenet if there is not a theater in the area that, that already seems like showing. Almost, almost like sadistic. That's bullshit. Yeah, that is bullshit. Is he doing that? He is, yes. That's Literally, that is why some of the drive-in theaters in this area, and I say in this area, meaning like in this radius of about in one to two nuclear hour. nuclear blast radius. Yeah, like one to two hour drive sure. are not showing Tenet because technically speaking, there is not a theater in this area showing it. And for him to do that, that to me, I mean, throughout this pandemic, drive-in theaters have finally made a comeback. Not a financially viable comeback. It's not like all of a sudden they are now in, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Deeds type, <laughs> you know, whatever. They, it's been a fortuitous situation yeah, for them. It's like finally they have at least a reason to prove why they should stick around alongside regular theaters. If we exactly. ever have pandemics again, we're here for you. I mean, we here for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you're just assuming that, of course, this one goes away at some point. I mean, I, I'm, I'm an optimist, yeah. but... I suspect we're in for the long haul, not to Absolutely. get political, but I'm yeah. suspecting we're going to look at least four, but, year, four years, I think. So driving schools, uh, they might become a but, but here, But here, here, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm obviously on board with what you're saying, Nick, but the reality is, is he's been such a red ass about this <laughs> that the fact that either he will not allow a co-VOD and theater release, mm-hmm. he will not allow drive-in theaters and within a certain radius to show it like he sounds like disney executives at this point yeah, it doesn't sound like he actually cares about the movie it doesn't sound like he actually cares about the viewers well, which is yeah. the biggest problem yeah, that's true. because if 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 he's so gone on his cause it feels like it doesn't even matter the situation yeah. which is really disappointing because like for my whole life not my whole life but my whole history of watching his movies I felt like he was a pretty sharp guy, mm-hmm. and now I feel like he's not. And that's that's disappointing because that is now painting a very dire picture of him 
going forward for me of someone who I've liked for 15 years now. I agree. I think, you know, he's taking a playbook out of uh, one of his first films, which is that he's working backwards, you know? He's... <laughs> <laughs> He's starting from the end result that he See, wants, and he doesn't care as far as how there's no real path forward. But to the it. the other part of this is this could be super detrimental to theaters mm-hmm. to think that oh this is this is we need to save them we need like for, first things first he's a multi 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 millionaire he really at the end of the day probably doesn't give a shit yeah. about movie theater movie theater owners any right. of that he cares about who is going to show his product in the medium that he believes people should consume it in. But at the same time, he's going about it all wrong. Like to me, he's going about it like Metallica went about trying to fight Napster. Yes, he's suing yes. Well, them. They became the most hated band in the world. I mean, well, well Lars Ulrich at least was the most hated man in the world. I would say, or or even just the fact. And then of, the puppets entered. <laughs> just the just master the, of no no no. No, I was just going to say, he's 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 he's. Wanting to almost be a, a, a ludite about this mm-hmm. and say that this is what it has to be. I'm going to continue this. It's not going to be like mm-hmm. you're going to get left in the dust, and then you're only going to hurt your brand by doing what you're doing. And to do it during a pandemic makes him look even worse. I mean, it, it could be worse. It could be Mulan, but you know what? There, there, that is. No, but it, it's it's one of those things where I'm almost ashamed of anything I've said about any director going on to Netflix with their movie because that makes more sense than at least that was not going to literally hurt people. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like where, you know, I, I, I almost am taking the, especially after we've seen quite a few directors that I like, yeah. <laughs> you know, migrate to Netflix, like Scorsese, Bombach and whatnot. Yeah, yeah it's going to say no Bombach. Yeah. yeah. But now it's like, you know what? No, this is where I'm now. And maybe I'll move that line in the sand, you know, in two years when the next bad thing happens or whatever. But this is so much more counterproductive than it is, uh, actually in any way shape or form saving the industry this is actually a death blow in and Mm -hmm. of itself because you could have saved the movie until theaters were ready and until like everyone else is done and 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 (laughs) it would have been a hit i mean it's not it's not so much that christopher nolan makes like the you know the most seen movies but he's one of the most watched like genre directors ever and and that's an important thing Mm -hmm. so well, and I, I mean, I think we have to talk about not just Christopher Nolan, but I mean, also the powerful and, dare I say, malevolent Bill and Ted lobby, which is involved, too. So I think oh, uh, they've See, exerted tremendous pressure on audiences. I was actually on, kind of on theaters. proud of them. Because actually, I am too. I've I'm never making, actually seen a, a single Bill and Ted movie. They're great. But I will admit, A, I've been wanting to, and B, the more I read about, I mean, I know Keanu Reeves, but... Reeves and Winter in general, the more I just feel like they really are those wholesome dudes because the moment this hit, I was like, oh man, this has been a sequel that's been kind of in the works for a long time. Like Soderbergh had to get this off the ground uh, as far as like, not even as a producer, but he had to actually call the studio and say, hey, you're sitting on this script. Why why aren't you making a a, a Bill and Ted 3? It only really happened because of Keanu Reeves. And I I completely agree. But the fact that they had no real problem shifting to VOD pretty much at the time that it was right to make that call... And they celebrated it, you know, whatever. I, I just think good for them that mm-hmm. they did not, you know, after... Because that's, you know, there's so many 
resurgences of these 80s properties mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger and, like, the new Terminator movie would have just went to VOD. And I know that's slightly mm-hmm. more popular of a franchise, but it's still the same kind of, like, oh, we're finally going to give the audience what they want. But, but read mm-hmm. the room a little bit. Yeah. Like, this is the situation that we're in. Like, like this, this would be, like... This would be like Major League Baseball saying there's going to be fans and we're going to have people in the stands. Yeah, it's it's irresponsible at that point. It, you know? it is. <clears throat> it is irresponsible. It's and and you know what? It's it's kind of on Christopher Nolan and yeah. kind of on it's his. It's it's that what's it? Sin Syncope. Syncope. Oh, that's yeah. his company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's kind of on them because. You, you know what? Like, Although Water Brothers is the bigger entity here, and technically speaking, they were fighting him on wanting to do this based on reports that have leaked. Yeah. Mm. And it, in my opinion, he, how does Water Brothers not have enough clout to overrule him? Well, <laughs> I, he, I, he I, may I, have here, uh, here's some the, sort of final cut uh, um, provision in his he, Final which, cut, I which, get. Which, well, I mean, but it distribution, might that's uh, not even Nolan's job. He, he, he may... But also, I will say this: this may be Warner Brothers hedging their bets a little bit, True. and just saying if if it goes bad, they can be like, <laughs> "I was going to say it's like okay, it was fine, the British we'll man. Let, he we'll did. let you do this." Yeah, yeah, it's bullshit. He's sort yeah. of the canary in the coal mine that way. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But but I feel like like he's not going to ruin his career. But at the same time, like this is going to be there forever for him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's like there's certain people in film uh, in, in the film industry that are sort of hated forever. You know, there's guys like Jack Valenti who did the MPAA, you know, um, or you've got like, I don't know, like Lucas has a contingency of people who just despise him for various reasons, but like none of them are be, are despised for actually putting people in danger. And this, I mean, I agree. I realize everybody has their own agency and they, they're going there by their own volition, mm-hmm. but it it's does, irresponsible. It's irresponsible. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I agreed. They are they are adults, presumably. They can go and decide themselves. But still, to just it seems like it's one of the few things right now that it seems like almost everyone, whether they're studio movie studios, uh, television studios, uh, really in music venues, anything. There seems to be this agreement, like, yeah, we're not going to be the jerks who spread this thing, except All for re- Smash Mouth, yeah. right? In Sturgis, yes. <laughs> I, which I just read today, shockingly, South Dakota has uh, become one of the leaders in uh, recent COVID. I was shocked. I tell you, I was truly shocked. Gambling in this establishment? Exactly. I felt like Claude Rate. Yeah, that's Claude Rate. I'm shocked, I tell you. But yeah, I just read that today, Mother Jones, and I'm like, wow. Couldn't have called that from fucking an hour. You know, every time I check Facebook, I unfortunately... It's bad for health. Well, besides that, which (laughs) it is... Unfortunately, Facebook, because I liked things when I was like 15, before <laughs> before pages were like a real viable thing, you know yes. what I mean? Because you just said, like, oh, what musician do you like? And you're like, well, I, I typed it in, like, oh, I like this person. And then somehow Facebook was able to co-op those, act- if you spelled it right, mm-hmm. for that to translate into an actual page like, whatever. Mm-hmm. So now you always see updates or whatever, and I'm too lazy to actually say, like, unsubscribe, whatever. <laughs> So every time I check Facebook, it's like almost daily that I check 
and all of a sudden I'll come across a post from an artist saying, hey, and this has been going on for the last four months. So sorry, but we have to cancel the next wave of content, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. And it's like, okay, they're doing whatever. So it's like even the music business is doing the right thing right. outside of a few bad apples. <laughs> um, but the movie theaters, besides Christopher Nolan, and he's one of the biggest, mm-hmm. is doing like the worst possible thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're. I mean, they, they're, again, it's, it's the same thing. Like they, they feel threatened. They feel like this is their only chance for survival. But you know what? I could, I could buy that if it was like some local theater that right. yeah. was actually going to be going bankrupt, didn't get any assistance, and they are like financially going to be going under soon. But for any like AMC or Regal, like fuck off! You guys have billions in the bank. Well, Goodrich is gone. I mean, Goodrich is dead. So, really? Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I just yeah. found out a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like the Kendall uh, Eleven, I guess, by my house, which yeah. I've been going to. For years. And we have yeah. one right by our house. Too. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, it's it's. I was shocked, but I mean, again, you know, Heidi and I were talking about this the other day. She's like, you know, a lot of these companies they operate on a razor thin margin, and it's like if you just, you know, if they're off. You know, one month or two months, they're gone. And, and, that's and I completely sympathize with that play because sure. technically speaking, they are at the mercy of these studios. But it makes me think that the long-term ramifications of everything that's happening right now is that we are going to see a repeal of the laws of what's currently in state right now mm-hmm. that studios are going to be allowed to own theaters. And, mm. you know, these theaters will now basically be bought out by the studios and mm. you will only be able to see in this theater any movie by Disney and Fox, you know, interesting. And, and, and so on and so forth. And it's, it's not I, interesting. It's terrifying. Yeah, I was going to say. It's <laughs> well, it, like, it is, yeah, but it's it one really of those things where I think we're level. closer to that, uh, to that than we realize. God. Yeah. I don't That's know. That's why we need to vote. <clears throat> this November, and vote. That is vote, the issue vote, on the table. Vote. So, um, right, sorry. Moving on to our main focus tonight, which is the Oliver Stone film Any Given Sunday, which was released in 1999, but oddly takes place in 2001, which is a really weird detail that you wouldn't catch That's if you didn't. Look. Interesting. Although it was released uh, December 26th. 1999. Even so, so it's still bizarre. Why do that? Yeah. 1999 was a very good year for films. Yeah. It was a very good year for films. Oh, I like that song. Oh, uh, me too. I was actually just discussing it today with a friend. And okay. It's, it's a brilliant movie. <laughs> you know, originally that song was supposed to be much faster. It was going to be like, when I was eight, 17. Oh, <laughs> I, that, I, I can't even hear that. I know. And now, but they slowed it down in the studio and they're like, yep, that's mm. the way to do it all along. We should there you know. go. It's so, like little, like Alfred Hitchcock being like, I don't like that song. They're like, this is it. It's like, <laughs> no, this isn't going to work for the shower scene. They're like, no, this is it. <laughs> okay. I came up with this. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, like, yeah. well, you know, Bernard Hermani has a history of that. And he did this score for Citizen Kane. And, you know, it was, you know Orson Welles' first movie, right? Mm-hmm. And Orson Welles like, yeah, so Bernard... Um, the um, you, you've written a little too much for the scene. We're gonna have to cut a little. He's like, "Oh no, no! All you have to do is just extend your scene." And Orson Welles is like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> a true story. That's he was about right. But I mean, it's like he was the only guy. Orson Welles was like, "Okay, even I can't fuck it." You know, I mean, like so. Anyway, yeah. so uh, any given Sunday uh, surrounds a behind-the-scenes look at the life and death struggles of modern-day gladiators and those oh, who lead on. them. Shit is this? Eh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Go on. 
So, uh, <laughs> Any Given Sunday stars Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, LL Cool J, James Woods, Matthew Modine, Aaron Eckhart, Jim Brown, Lawrence Taylor, Anne Margaret, Lauren Holly, James Karen, uh, Gianni Russo, John C. McGinley, and Charlton Heston. <laughs> yes. It's just that one scene. Yes, but but I will get into that at some point. Uh, very, very interesting scene uh, mm-hmm. that he is in. Anyways, uh, really quickly before I move on, and I forget about it, Gianni Russo, really randomly, um, is one of Cameron Diaz's, I believe her name is Christine or Christina uh, in, in the film. Mm-hmm. He's one of her two advisors. The other one is played wonderfully by James Karen, who is dressed every single scene like he's... Uh, um, like Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. He's got it like a. He's and, got that like seersucker suit, which I'm usually a fan of, but in this case, he's also one of my favorite characters in the film. Even though he's only in like four minutes, right? But yet he's always like trying to like give his opinion, and nobody cares. <laughs> and he is like great because he's like, you have to not go there, and she's like, no, I'm going. <laughs> And he has one of the last parts of the film is yeah. him mouthing "you son of a bitch" I to Al Pacino, that. which is great. I always assumed that was a that was a gag on the graduate at the end of the graduate, where like everybody's like, "you son of a bitch," and then they pan over and it's the priest. He's like, "you son of a bitch." You know, <laughs> I honestly I had forgotten about that, and that really made me laugh. It's great. When I watched it again. I love that. But he's got a lot of other moments just like that in his like small time on here, where he's just like. We have to remember he did all this for the game, and then someone just talks over him because he's not important. <laughs> Anyways, the other uh, handler that she has, played by Gianni Russo, mm. that guy actually plays uh, the guy that Talia Shire uh, marries in The Godfather. Oh, the one that uh, uh. Sonny beats the shit out of? Yes. I had no idea. <laughs> I know. It's so random. I assumed he was what still a casting like, choice. I assumed he was still lying by that hydrant after being. I mean, because his he, career that was, was over. a colossal ass kicking, and it was just yeah. like, well, that's it. You know? Yeah, and no, wow. no, but but that was him. That's awesome. That's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, we're recording this in early September, right before football season starts. So, usually every year around this time, like I get interested in watching football movies, and this is one that I usually go to. But mm. man. I don't know, like, just recently I've been thinking more and more about this film, and I love this even more uh, this time through. So, glad we're doing an episode on it, and there it is. That makes this so much harder. Uh, Oh. Do you want want to start, Danny, or me to? You go first. Okay. <laughs> it'll it'll help me figure out what I'm going to say, because I don't want to be a douche. Oh, okay, because you don't have any notes or anything. No, no. These four pages, <laughs> that's just blank pages I have in front of me. <laughs> I was going to write things on there. No, I'm go- sorry, go on. Okay. So, I saw this movie a long time ago, over 20 years ago. I saw this in the theater when I was 12 years old. Oh, wow. My parents took me to see it, which was terrible parenting choice. <laughs> but uh, I went to go see Any Given Sunday in the theater, and... I thought it was really weird when I saw it when I was a kid. And I thought, this is this is really odd. The structure of this is really bizarre. And I just wanted to see... A, I was sold this was going to be a sports movie. And yes, there were sports, and this was fun. But the story-wise, uh, I don't get it. So fast forward, I started watching this movie somewhat regularly, probably about like five or six years ago. And 
I don't know, like every single time I watch any given Sunday, I like it more. And it's kind of hard because the last couple of times my rating has gone up and it's gone down a little bit. But at the same time, I feel like I've kind of firmed up exactly where I want to be on this. And it's that I think that this film, while definitely not a masterpiece, is fantastic. And for two reasons, um, because I personally think that this is an extremely honest look at the National Football League, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously wanted nothing to do with this movie. Yeah, I <laughs> did not know that going into it because yeah. I watched it for the first time this week and I was like, oh, wow, this is like they don't even have the graphics you can use yeah, for yeah. the actual. Why aren't they calling it the NFL? It's like, yeah. what, what are they calling it? Something? Yeah. yeah, I mean, in fairness. When you look into some of the details, it's pretty clear why they didn't want to be involved. <laughs> but at the same time, um, I think it's pretty damn genuine, mm-hmm. um, especially watching the NFL every Sunday for the last decade of my life. Um, I'm a huge fan, and I, I, feel, like, I feel kind of dirty saying that. Because, why? Because it is, without a doubt, a gladiator sport. 100%. Oh, football, you mean in general? Oh, yeah. Football, sure. No, for sure. Sure. Not on any given Sunday. Like, this is a good movie, mm. but, uh, and I do not watch it every Sunday. Um, but at the same time. <laughs> and I feel dirty watching it. Yeah. Honey, it's any given Sunday night. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Why are every... your pants off? <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah, there's Sorry. just something about Charlton Heston. Um, well, no. This stage of his life. He's as swarthy as they get. Have you seen know. the Omega Man? And he's as swarthy as the day is long. He's swarthy. It's swarthy's the word for that. Ten commandments, more like ten inches. Ayo. <laughs> now you at home can't see this, but Nick like gave a look of puzzlement af- right after he said that. He was like, "Why did I just say that?" No, nah, I don't think he thought that. I think he thought like pretty sh- proud about it. It was kind of a shrug, like what? Yeah. So, in addition <laughs> to loving this film because of the the honesty about it, I feel like this film really hits on something that. Most other films that dabble in racism do not even think about. And mm. I haven't spent a lot of my career watching films that talk about race in certain subsets of culture. Like, I, I've seen films that talk about racism just in general, but I've never sat down to watch film that dive into racism in this part of culture. Sure. Racism in sports, racism in jail racism in um you know the community or whatever like like mm-hmm. I, i've seen just lots of movies about racism that have been a theme not quite systemically depicted yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. in 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 certain subsects of life so anyways in this film it's very very specific but the one specific part of this film um and it's made pretty pretty clear what it's trying to do they even mention it in one scene of this film um, but this film is much more interested, I feel like, talking about the idea of um, how people can still work with and respect black people and still be racist in a way because of the way that they treat them and the way that they look at them as lower than they are. And even Al Pacino says something, and I think this is the most important line of the film, and it is not one of his most shouty lines, and it kind of just flies a little bit under the radar about halfway through, but it's during the great scene that he has 
when he is having Willie Beeman over for uh, jambalaya. Yes. <laughs> Did you not like the jambalaya? I'm like, who says? I've never heard anyone call it jambalaya. He it's doesn't know jambalaya. how to speak, yeah. so it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, so he has uh, Jamie Foxx playing Willie Beeman over for for a, a meal. He and he's going to try to you know get him in line to stop being so black. And, <laughs> I mean, that's in honesty what's right. happening. Right. Uh, You're being too sexy, dude. Like that man, one of the first lines he speaks to him. Just imagine. You're back in the hood. I Holy know shit. that line is just so much more acidic now because it's like back then it was like, well, that's a little racist, and now it's like I Holy actually think shit. it's better. Um, oh, I agree, and, and, and not in a, like a good way, but in a like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm sure he would have said that. Oh no, I think that's intentional on the writer's yeah, part. I, I definitely got sure. that. Um, but when he 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 literally explains to him, I've been working with people of your color for 30 years. I'm not racist, and I'm like, you know what? You fucking are racist. That's because that's like saying, "Oh, some of my best friends are black." Yes, yeah. it's exactly the or, equivalent. Or of that. they're getting paid. So mm. what's the difference? They're not slaves. Yeah. And it's like they're not. But man, you do not give a shit about them. You want mm-hmm. them to play your game, and that's it. And I, I'm not saying because I think that this film has a lot of mixed messages in it, specifically about the idea of the coach which is played by what I think pretty wonderfully by Al Pacino, um, wanting everyone else to live in his weird world of his rules and his, his way and his structure of his, the way he plans the the game plan for his games. But at the same time, uh, this film also like finds a way to marry that together with what Willie Beeman, Jamie Foxx and the other players are doing by the end of it. So it's, it's a, it's a weird message that this film has going on. But but that scene is fantastic. That one line, I think, is is the defining part of the film for me. Um, but there's so much going on in this movie. This is movie is way too long. It's two hours and forty minutes. It's way too long. Um, uh, although I will say, I don't know um, which parts of this I would cut out. Like I know that there's definitely part of this that you could cut. But at the same time, like I want to see the different storylines that are happening here because. I am interested in all of the characters in this head because, like, there are arcs for probably, like, eight characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot stuffed into this film in some way. And uh, the other part about it that I that I really love, other than the two parts I already mentioned, I love that this film finds a way to have the characters have some kind of cathartic moment by the finale of this film as almost every main character. And again, there's probably like seven, eight, nine main characters. I mean, there's the, the two or three main ones that we know, of, but there's seven or eight or nine characters that get significant screen time throughout this movie. Definitely. And all of them have a journey that they are on throughout this. And all of them reach the end that they not necessarily want to be at, but that they should be at throughout the film. And I love that every time. And I I love how every one of them gets their moment Mm. and it's not necessarily what they wanted, but it's the moment that they should have gotten. (laughs) And and it's, and it's even, it's either, it's either small, whether it's LL Cool J getting the one play where he runs the play that they ran for him when they shouldn't have. (laughs) And he runs out of bounds and he, but he was able to get them in position to score the final touchdown or it's Nick Crozier, the Aaron Eckhart character getting named head coach at the end of the film. Right, right. Um, Or it's uh, Cameron Diaz's character 
having a moment where she realizes that she cannot continue to operate like this uh, throughout her ownership or general manager or whatever. Because I think, weirdly enough, Anne Margaret actually probably owns the team, which is never... That's right. Yeah, which is never... Yeah, like stakeholder-wise. <clears throat> yeah, but like she like um, talks about how her mother's an alcoholic, but at the same time, it really seems like she wants her to be that, so she's out of the picture. Mm-hmm. It's never really uh, mentioned in the film, but it seems somewhat clear to me at least um so anyways there's a lot going on here i think and i I really really enjoy this film and it is a very bizarre oliver stone film like there is very finicky editing here which is definitely done on purpose but at the same time it is not pleasing to the eye to watch and just see like here's all these weird edits let's zoom in on this cheerleader who's also in the shadows in this scene for whatever reason like here's some lightning yeah no there there are so many bizarre decisions that were made here uh, but at the end of the day i think this is actually a pretty wonderful film and and i've come a long way at it from the first time i saw it 20 plus years ago um so i've i've kind of gushed a little bit and there are so many parts of this film that I am so eager to talk about. There's specific line readings in here that are awe-inspiring to me, where I'm just like, that is on film forever. <laughs> like, okay, this is really bad. So I'm, I'm going to say it because I feel like it deserves to be said, mm-hmm. but it is extremely offensive, but I'm still going to say it, so that's fine. But the fact mm. that this film hired Dick Butkus, mm-hmm. the Chicago oh, yeah. Bears legend, to scream across the sideline at Al Pacino saying, where'd you find this faggot? Um, right, and Al Pacino's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to even engage. Okay, <laughs> but there, I love that response. There is a lot happening with that line because not only is it um, really uh, him trying to talk shit about Jamie Foxx, but also Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Um, and his name is Dick Buckett. <laughs> It's just, but it's just the way he says that line and like the authority that he has with it. And I get that this is the late nineties and that was totally fine then. But at the same time watching that now, I'm like, Oh, I mean, that line was thrown around. Like it was not a problem in the nineties. It was, but, but most people I knew were like, they, they did that look both ways thing before they said it. You know what I mean? So they knew at least in their heart that they probably shouldn't. I would say that was the last decade where it was in yeah. the mainstream lexicon as being an acceptable uh, slur. Yes. You know yes. what I mean? Like where it's like you could just say that. Mm-hmm. Because but, you were referring to a quote unquote straight person, like not so much right. that you would actually use it uh, as an epithet against the community itself, right? But it was still acceptable as a pejorative against someone's heterosexuality, right? Right. But but in this specific instance, it's also a pejorative against the person who decided to have this person play the game. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really bizarre, and that was like. That had no meaning. Like, that was the one line that that guy had in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so yeah, I'll let you guys t- take it away because I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I'm taking too much time talking about this. So I don't know. I mean, uh, this is the film you brought. So, I mean, that, this is very that, much that, your film. That's, that's true. But, but, you know, every, like, I don't know, like every, like, 10 or 15 episodes, I, like, actually have something I'm, like, passionate about. <laughs> where I'm not just like, oh, I guess I'll talk about Cabin Fever. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That movie sucked. Anyways, uh, Dan, why don't you go ahead and give us your opening thoughts on sure. uh, uh, any given Sunday? Well, I am a certified 
Oliver Stone fan. I okay. mean, I've seen probably all of his films, even The Hand, his first film, not a good film. And you Frank, really, your favorite is Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. Uh, actually, it's not bad. I, I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was somewhat underrated. I mean, despite the Shia LaBeouf film. I actually, film, I actually but... don't mind it. I, I kind of mind the last, like, 30 minutes. But I think the rest of the film's pretty good. I'm trying to remember last night. Well, uh, yeah. it, it, it all works out, and they have a happy ending where they're oh, all having, right. like, a block party yes, together. Yes, it's like the whole family. And... Yeah. Agreed. It was like and there's like this really weird pop song at the end. It doesn't feel right. Hmm. That was weird. Yeah. Money never sneezes. <laughs> it's pretty much that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do a little and dance. Gordon Gecko ends up being a good guy at the end. You're like, nah. What? Well, yeah. you know, uh, sometimes older people they have like that thing, that biological thing, where they like maybe have a heart attack or they ch- t- like turn seventy, and they're like, my God, I've That's wasted like my life. Thing. Well. It's a pretty traumatic experience either way. Traumatic. Exactly. Anyway, so I've seen uh, probably all of his films and um, even several of his documentaries. Okay. Which are varying quality. So I feel like he's... Also, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm stepping all over you here. But it's a film I just watched for the first time earlier this year, and I really liked it. Do you like Born on Fourth of July? Born on the Fourth of July? I do. I do. I I like it, but um, I like it fine for itself, but I like it better... Within the context of it being part of a triptych or a trilogy, I think Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July, and Heaven and Earth really work well because each one is a different aspect of it. And it makes sense that a guy who actually served in Vietnam would be like, I can't do this in one movie. I need more. You mm-hmm. know? And I, I think it is quite good. Um, the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, it's okay. But as time's gone on, I, I definitely appreciate it. Watched it, it for the first time on the Fourth of July this year. Nice. In the height like of. Like the title. Yes. <laughs> you in, noticed that. In, you in, remarked that too. Eh? In <laughs> probably the height or around the height of the George Floyd um, oh, protests geez. that were yeah. happening. Yeah. And the opening scene of that where they're in like a white neighborhood with people waving the American flag. Yes. And uh, it's even named after like a Native American mm-hmm. uh, town. I was mm-hmm. like, damn, this is cutting deep. <laughs> I know, right? It's almost like the beginning of Blue Velvet or something where you're yeah. like, the guy's going past with the fire truck and they're like, yay. And, yeah. and you're like, oh, that's nice. And then all of a sudden you see the insects under the surface and you realize, oh, David yeah. Lynch is making a uh, There's a severed ear. Yes, there is that too, <laughs> eventually. Anyway, um, no, but it, it is a good film. Um, it's not one of my favorites, no, but I should watch it again because I suspect I'd like it more the fourth time. I mean, he, he's got he's got a very diverse, well, not yeah. diverse, but he's got a very wide right. um, catalog. So, well, makes sense. And he was extremely prolific for a while. Um, mm. But I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, like for like, I would say like. As far as living American filmmakers go, he's one of the most powerful when he's on his A-game, I would say. I mean, even if you don't like his politics, which generally I do, but even if you don't, it's like, man, he puts together... W's not good. I like W, although it's, it, I didn't think it was that great at first, and it's gained in reflection, so you never know. Okay, I've only seen it the once, and I, I've thought, seen it three was, times I thought it was silly. I, it, it's almost too subtle for Oliver Stone at first. It's like, well, what, what's he doing? Well, anyway, sorry. No, no, Look at no. how stupid these people are. <laughs> yeah, but the sad part is like no, no, it was, it was, those it was, those it was, quotes, like they say all that shit. I mean, it wasn't all said in one scene like that, but mm-hmm. all the shit they say is actually real. Yeah, like Dick Cheney yeah. did say that, and Condi Rice did say that, and, and Rumsfeld did say all that stupid <laughs> crap. Sure, they're literally like walking around. It oh, almost, yeah. It almost was like a scene out of Anchorman. Like they're <laughs> walking around, and they're like whimsical. They're like, 
ha 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 let's bomb iraq right we can't we can't invade in that time because it's going to be too hot but there's actually a photo uh and, on, and it's on the cover of uh jumping in the air thomas <laughs> yes frozen it's actually a toyota commercial oh what a feeling toyota no uh but there's actually a famous photo which was used uh by thomas ricks for the cover of his book fiasco and it does show at least four of them walking along and you know they're sitting there going Oh yeah, <laughs> we're like the wild bunch, and you're like this photo does not look good because that that book is not a flattering portrait of what? the Iraq War. I know. Well, like he said, like he's like when I started this book a year ago, he was like people were like I don't know, Fiasco seems like an over the top name, and he's like now it's <laughs> and like, then they read it right. Well, and then a year when he finally finished it, they're like, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so just to give you an idea of what kind of the content is, anyway. So, uh, unfortunately, I would say after Nixon in 1995, I feel like he never really reached the same heights. Mm. Um, I'm not saying he's not capable of it. Capable. But he did, I mean, he did a couple pretty good, like, almost like B-picture homages, like um, uh, U-Turn and another one recently called Savages. And they're kind of good in their own way, and they're kind of Is that fun. the Taylor Kitsch movie? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's actually, those two are actually pretty good. Like, if you like exploitation films, you'll see the, the, the signpost there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone here likes exploitation films. What? No. No. <laughs> but I'm just saying if someone did. No, but sadly I have not seen those. Honestly, you'll, you would probably dig them more than most people I know. Because you'd be like, oh, yeah. Especially U-Turn, which has a lot of the old, like, uh, noir uh, femme fatale things oh, yeah, in it, yeah, yeah. And, and it's also very well done. I mean, the actors seem to be having a really good time. You got like a ton of people, and you got like Sean Penn, Nick Nolte, Joaquin Phoenix, Claire Danes, uh, Powers Booth, and the, the who's who of people who've had drug addiction <laughs> problems. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> well, and, Powers Booth. <laughs> Powers Booth. It's so funny. Like that's uh-huh. one of my favorite things he's in because. Uh, for some reason, there's two different scenes where he pops in, and it's like he literally walks in the room, and they start playing uh, Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. So it's like, mm. he walks in, it's like, and then like the second time he comes in, he pulls the guy over, and it's like, it's like so good. It's like a lit motif for Powers Booth as the sheriff. So anyway. Moving on to this film. Yes, but I would say with the exception of W in 2008, which, again, I feel it's really gained for me in reflection. I just feel like Stone really never quite got his mojo back. And I think his more large-scale flicks, while being good, like any given Sunday, Alexander's not bad. World Trade Center is very well done for what it is. Even Snowden. Uh, I feel like they're they're just a little. I never brought myself to watch that. <laughs> it's it's actually a very it's a very well done film. It's just it's a bit underwhelming. Like I feel like it are. ruined Joseph Gordon Levitt's career. <laughs> oh, I don't think anything could. He's he's just so good, man. I love that dude. <laughs> he's Come just on. not in anything anymore, but that's all right. Well, he's staying in place right now. Damn you! <laughs> I'll have you know he's playing the drums. I just saw him on the Late Late Show playing the drums, and he was pretty good. Oh, good wow. for him! Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I've had a chance to learn. No, anyway. Um, playing the drums from his home on the Late Late Show. <laughs> yeah. Great. I, I'm just saying, you know. He's not allowed to leave his home, but it's not right. because of the pandemic. <sighs> I will not allow you to impugn Joseph Gordon-Levitt's genius. Anyway. Sure. Um, so, I'm just saying. Yeah, no. He's, he's, Mysterious skin. He's, 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 you know. he's, he's had some good roles. Angels Inception. in the Outfield was good. Oh, come on. <laughs> Third Rock from the Sun. He had a great cameo in that 70s show by the way oh god mm-hmm. yes. where they were actually jumping in the air and the gay and they uh, were, friend remember they, and remember they're like high-fiving each other and it would like pause yeah. in the air like you were talking about yeah, earlier sir. so there you go mm. so back. dan have you seen any given sunday 
So uh, I'll, I'll keep this brief. I just want to say I was trying, but you guys keep. Never mind. Sure. All right. Keep so, blaming everyone else for your problems. People at home. <laughs> Audiences at home, I've tried, but yes, yeah. he the hasn't said thing, one word about any given Sunday. Yet, well, but that's the, all right. Uh, so I did. That, he, he was talking about any given Sunday, not about everything else. So you're, you're still good, right? You're in the clear. Okay, good. So I was going to say though, the other thing about Stone <laughs> is, uh, in the last couple of years, he's basically started making like thinly veiled propaganda for Vladimir Putin. Yes, and it's like his apologetics for him are like. I think that Oliver Stone in, 19, in 1986, when he did Salvador, he would consider that Oliver Stone right now, like, disgusting and, like, laughably trite. Because it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. just basically just, like... But Showtime aired it, too, so I don't even know why... I yeah. think it was just on the strength of his name. But, I mean, I remember seeing him on a couple late shows... Or on a couple... Yeah, a couple late shows... And uh, they're like, okay, so you pressed him on this one thing. Like, you asked him, so did you ever kill anybody? And Putin's like, of course not. And he's like, okay, well, that's all the time we have today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Let's go get lunch. It was like that like that much like he had been co-opted. Yeah. And it's like, what happened to Oliver Stone? Anyway, but I see uh, Any Given Sunday as falling into the same category as those kind of other big prestige flicks. Oh, oh I was gonna, thought you were going to say as, no, 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 as his no. Vladimir Putin work. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, I would say it's it, like, no, but more like, you know, Alexander and World Trade Center and stuff where it's like, yeah. it's interesting at times, but I, for me, at least, I don't feel like it really congeals into the kind of work I love best by him. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my opening thoughts. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right on. I got to say, I'm kind of going to echo a little bit of that sentiment. Um, I definitely enjoyed this movie. I was mm-hmm. glad I watched it. And I would definitely watch it again. Sure. I think what ultimately keeps it from being a great movie for myself yeah. is that you had mentioned, Alex, earlier that there's like eight subplots here. And that's kind of the big uh, cross it has to bear because, you know... Earlier in the decade when he had made Nixon, which, you know, Dan brought up, and that is probably my favorite thing I've seen uh, mm-hmm. Stone has done. Well, no, my favorite is talk radio, but that's yeah. almost an anomaly in his career. It is Not very, an anomaly, very... but it's just a... But it's there more are similarities, be- which I'll talk about later. I was going to yeah. say, it's more of a Bogosian yes. product than it is Stone's. Yes. Um, but with Nixon, something like that, it's like you can hang these subplots as basically being echo chambers of your main character, whereas Any Given Sunday is truly trying to be an almost Robert Altman ensemble mm-hmm. piece where you're having all these different characters, all these different subplots, and you're trying to meaningfully tie them together as if they are both equal in stature and also in runtime, and that never really ends up being the case. I think the the sub or not subplot, but I think the main arc with the coach uh, played by Al Pacino is mostly great. Like there's really no, because that's given the most flesh, uh, so to speak. Um, I think the biggest weakness of this movie for me, and then I'll get into things that I do like about it, is that I actually think the biggest weakness is the second most important subplot. And that's Willie Beeman. I, Obviously, I'm completely philosophically and ideologically in agreement (laughs) with most of what Willie Beeman says as a character and as a mouthpiece for these issues. Mm -hmm. But the rise and fall of Willie Beeman makes no real sense to me almost at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he goes from literally puking, you know, during his first play to telling his bitch off (laughs) that he's a star. slap her? 
Yeah. No. I mean, or no, no, she slaps him, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he was about to, so to speak. There's, uh, a, lot, there's a lot of uh, man slapping in this. There's that there is. The one scene from the girl from Dumb and Dumber. Yes, know? yes, with yes. Uh, Dennis Quaid. Bam. And <laughs> for me, it was such a zero to 60 moment of where it's like, but I don't get it. This is almost a three-hour film. How are we already at this point yet? Sure. And then for that... And this is so bad, but by the time we get to his dinner conversation with Al Pacino, even though I agree with everything he says, I couldn't walk away from that scene because of the placement of where it came and how little buildup we had to it as being anything other than Willie Beeman playing the race card. Mm. Not because the card itself is not a valid truth, both from his experience and perspective, but because this is a film narrative, and unfortunately it didn't quite work for me in that light. Because here we had followed Al Pacino's trek almost, you know, monotonously. You know, we have to see him get a hooker or not get a hooker. You know, we have to Who see is Elizabeth Berkley. girl. Okay, so yeah. here's the thing I will say Leave about your that. at the door. I am. Um, I actually think she's great in this. She I actually do, do too. Yeah. But I, I, I think that this is a casting choice that was wonderful and also awful at the same time, because she was getting no work, obviously, at yeah. that point. So they're like, "Hey, Elizabeth, we're gonna hire you. You're gonna be a hooker." And she's like, "Okay, we you're gonna have to show your tits too." We saw that scene by the Bell episode where you were on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> we loved it. But I think uh, those were caffeine pills. Um, well, but they're, but they're un- for unfortunately some. for her, um, I think it was a great casting choice, but yeah. it feels gross. No, it does, and I feel like, but I do feel like the movie in her two scenes are actually proof positive that she's technically not. Like, she's in on the showgirls joke, but that's just me. Yeah, true, because no, no, she's I, yeah. so different. She's so yeah. broad in showgirls, and in this, she's she's very realistic. Uh, like, to the point where I was like, yeah, I can believe this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, overall, I, what I liked most about Any Given Sunday was Oliver Stone's commitment to the almost uh, chaotic nature of not just the game, but the organization, which is that you, you, you don't just hire people to fill positions. You hire people to spin plates and to yell at other people for bumping into them, you know, because their plate is more important uh, than, you know, theirs and vice versa. And I, I like that this is almost a sadistic organization, not simply in the way that they co-opt, you know, like African-American livelihood or even just in general, um, you know, body co-opting you know just whether you're black or white like concussions are pretty much acceptable you know whatever Mm -hmm. but in the way that they basically say like you know every single person is expendable because the only thing that matters is the almighty dollar and i think all of this is completely present in the ideology of this movie from Mm -hmm. frame to frame but i don't think the script gives it enough lip service to make it truly land because i think when the script goes hard it goes in on it but then also we are treated to other scenes that are intersped that get a little too wrapped up in the character drama and i feel like that's where this movie is just so unwieldy and it's not so much that i dislike the character drama or i dislike the more uh, capitalism screed i just feel like 
I feel like Oliver Stone made two movies here. One that's actually a good sports movie, you know, like a genuine just uh, not rags to riches, but a down-on-their-luck team because they had lost four in a row, to an actual underdog story with the quarterback actually bringing them to a place of prominence, mixed in with this other uh, overarching theme of actual, um, I don't know, misuse and abuse. And I actually feel like he lost the thread of how those two intertwine. I suppose, but I will say this, and this is from someone who's a big fan of this movie yeah. and loves football. Yeah. Um, I feel like, and I don't know this, but I feel like, at least from watching it, that Oliver Stone made this as a person who's kind of like me, who is a conflicted fan, mm-hmm. who loves the game, but but also knows that there's a lot of problems with it. And he highlights them while at the same time highlighting how wonderful the game can be if you if you if you um, allow it to be. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you talk about being um, corru- corrupted or co-opted or whatever. But um, there's a lot of parts of life that are just taken from people whether it's coaches or players or people of color or um family members or or whatever um that are destroyed by the game or by professional sports uh and yet at the same time the actual game is is wonderful and fantastic and, and fun to watch but also lethal yeah, no, I can, I definitely agree on that sense in that it's almost like a poison that seeps into every part of the soil. Yeah. So, good stuff. Opening up to uh, general remarks here. <laughs> Hike! <laughs> That's a football term. I was going to say, well done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, no, I, I, I love, as I mentioned in my opening thoughts, I, I do really enjoy the way that this film portrays race specifically uh on the part of the idea of yes these people who are the coaches and the managers and the higher ups they're not slave owners but they're a new breed of people who are are wanting to continue this this path on there um i i do like the idea of cameron diaz's character being in this weird spot as she is like the child version. Like, I feel like she's weirdly like the, um, the Killian Murphy character in inception where she is like mm-hmm. the surrogate for this father's empire that she is sitting in for, that she has to, uh, continue on. Even though I don't, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, I don't necessarily think that she's like the owner of the team. Um, she's still the one mm-hmm. carrying the but torch. She's looked at, as such. Yeah. yeah. But we never see anything much like we don't ever see anything in Inception about uh Kelly Murphy's father other than that really random scene at the end, which is actually not bad, but with um Pete um Possibly? Yeah, one of his very last roles before That's he right. passed away. Yeah. Um Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh um in the name of the Father, great with oh, him and dude. Daniel Day Lewis. I'm such so a fan good. of that I still movie. Have to watch that. I know you do. It was one of the very first movies. Giuseppe we Conlon. Were... That was his uh, name. Anyway. Yeah, that was one of the very first movies when you and I started becoming friends mm-hmm. that you randomly told me about, and, and you still haven't. And I still haven't it. seen ha! it. And at the time, I had never even heard of it. So I oh, was like, okay. "This is the start of a beautiful friendship." Oh, oh very Casablanca esque. But and, yeah, it's a fantastic film. It is very good. I mean, it is. It is is probably one of Daniel Day Lewis's better actual performances, mm-hmm. and I, I think he's a fantastic actor. Obviously, but yeah, but I agree, it's near the top. 
that was before his rise to this being that he became towards the like he yeah. became the yeah. no 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 uh, you know? I, 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 I don't even know Which about, I love that by the he, way. he he became a caricature of himself where he had to put on this hmm. persona I was gonna say like even if he's doing great work within that mm-hmm. uh, performance mm-hmm. so to speak mm-hmm. he's definitely only doing thing except for Phantom Thread where I thought he Almost mm. went out because he said he's retired. We'll see, right. but he went out on a slightly dialed back performance, just yeah. as far as what he had normally done, as far as under makeup and aesthetics. Sure, yeah. sure. But I, yeah. I, I feel like, bef- meh, maybe like, I don't know, like like nineties. Mm-hmm. He became more of a playing a version of himself playing that character. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. the the Cameron Diaz character is is interesting to me only because How do you pronounce her last name by the way? Hmm? Oh, oh. Pagniacci. <laughs> Pagniacci. Yeah. yeah. But oh, doctor, by the way, it's pa- I'm Pagniacci. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Oh boy. So uh, I, but yeah. but anyways, that that's great only because uh Jamie Fox is uh weirdly hitting on her and then he's also calling her the wrong last name. So that's that's one of the weirdest scenes in the movie. Yeah, it's an understandable her. scene. I don't... Hmm. I mean, it? on some level you're like, yeah, I could see why he's like, well, I'm in the quarterback now, you know, maybe I can go after her. And she's like... I've never seen that before in a sports movie. But I, I say that literally yeah. in the sense that like this movie is full of tropes and whatever, mm. but even that felt like the movie losing the plot a little oh. bit as far as trying to drive home uh, Willie Beeman's ascent to sure. godlike status uh, to the point where I guess I'm I'm glad with how it played out. Obviously, it's not like mm-hmm. uh, Cameron Diaz's character debases herself or anything like that. Sure. But I almost don't understand why he would ever think to do that in the locker room. I, could under, I, I don't know. Not because right I don't understand the people. male psyche of an <laughs> egotistical prick. I, I completely get it. No, no, like I, I get it. But in this wow. movie, it didn't, like, there were didn't, not enough scenes. Land. No. <laughs> anyway. I actually found that that exchange really interesting, and it's one of the parts that I've always remembered from the movie, because I watched it the first time about, I don't know, I guess 23 or 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. And that was one of the parts I remembered where he's like, oh, well, so you, you just care what other people think? And she's like, well. And, and she answers yeah. really honestly. It's, it's a very pr- profound answer. She's like. I think in this in in when we we live in the public life, yes, we have to. And it was like, wow, that's a very um honest and like I said, very poignant answer. I feel I feel like this movie and, and I said it in my opening remarks is super honest. Mm-hmm. One one of the things that I hate about this movie is that it's um acknowledges that it's a secondary league to the NFL because mm-hmm. they mentioned the Dolphins twice. <laughs> Uh, oh, did I, they really? I yeah. didn't catch that. I find it so the very NFL odd. exists. Yeah, I find that very That's odd. So bizarre. It I is. <laughs> it, it is because I didn't catch that at all, and I'm like, there's no reason why this league would exist in right. the way that it does. And 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 <laughs> let, let's put it this way: especially in the world we live in, where secondary leagues usually fail, and yeah. if not, they are just filled with or rejects or whatever, bought yeah. by the Rock. Vince McMahon could you know, be. Remember that that league of the Vince McMahon. That's tried. that's what uh, the Rock yeah. bought. Yeah. Oh, that's no, oh, he, yeah, he bought that publicly. Oh, it was just announced that he apparently is going to try it anyway. Oh, Jesus. He purchased it after he got COVID. I mean, to and be f- told everyone about it. 
Yeah, that's the real extreme football well, league is getting COVID. You know. Um, so I will say really quickly though, because you're talking about Cameron Diaz, mm-hmm. that that's actually one of my favorite parts of this movie is her character. Um, I like the way. Can her... I say real quick before? Yeah. Um, I every time I saw up until recently when I've watched this so many times that I remember certain parts of it. Um, every time I watched this, probably the first three times I saw the film, and I think I've seen it six times now, mm-hmm. all the way through. Uh, when. Al Pacino grabs the chair when he's in the confrontation with her late in the film. I was yeah. like, holy shit, he's going to hit her with a chair. And then he throws it at the wall. But at what the I same time, it, it's still, it, it is still like undoubtedly the first thought that would come into someone's mind when that happens. What I like about that mm-hmm. moment when that happens in their kind of closed meeting or mm-hmm. whatever is that for me at least, because I actually very much like Cameron Diaz in this role, mm-hmm. I Makes almost sense. feel like that is where a great actor, Al Pacino, is in a scene in which, I'm sorry, but I think Cameron Diaz is domineering just as mm-hmm. far as performance-wise. And so he needs to add something to his, and I think it completely fits for the character, so I'm not saying it's out of place by any means, yeah. but I almost feel like it's this weird affectation of like, well, you know, I need to, you know, be in the spotlight. But I will say, Cameron Diaz in this movie, um, coupled with the fact that I think I, I just watched, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but for the first time, uh, Gangs of New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I found myself really liking that movie more than I thought I would because I'm not a big fan of Marty's gangster stuff. I don't think she's a bad actress. I was going to say, and, I, and this was reminding me of why she was the it girl in that era, you know, like there were things that she was in that were, I would say, thankless. Not that mm-hmm. she was bad, but sure. there's something about Mary and like the mask where I do think the directors were not appreciative of what she could or could not do or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I'm reminded in certain roles during this era, like Any Given Sunday, where she actually, uh, I would say, completely dominates uh, mm-hmm. the, the script and, and at least her part of it and whatnot. And one thing I really yeah. like about her character is that if you wrote her character as a male, only a few scenes would have to be tweaked. Mm-hmm. In general, she's only dealing with, and I'm not saying you can't uh, project any kind of subconscious, like, you know, sexism in the workplace, because that's mm-hmm. certainly a thing. But I I like the fact that there was not, like, an endless barrage of, like, bitch jokes or, uh-huh. or whatever. This is mostly a legacy issue with her and her father. Yeah. I, I, I do also – sorry, Dan, real quick. No, no, go ahead. I do really love the scene uh, when they're at the party, which turns in – I uh, maybe – no, it's this party, I think, that turns into a, a weird – like sex fest with LL Cool J and the weird other weird sex fest. Well, no, because it's like more at, like a, a, a normally awesome. <laughs> sex. No. It, it's at like a charity. Event. You've never yes. been to one of my birthday parties <laughs> at Where, Chuck E. Cheese's. I, I do. I do also like that the, the the film clearly was edited kind of poorly for this because LL Cool J has clearly taken off all of his suit <laughs> and he is doing coke off of a woman's breasts. And the other guy is getting a blowjob from a woman, and then LL Cool J's girlfriend or whoever finds him and is all pissed off. And then, like fifteen seconds later, we see a dancing scene where he's fully back. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. What's the weirdest thing about everything you're describing right now mm-hmm. is that I'm going to completely show my ass right now and say <laughs> that I must have looked down at my phone during this because <laughs> oh, I wow. do not re- not because I don't think it's there. Yeah. But holy shit, I missed the best part of this movie. <laughs> oh, oh, it's there. It's there. No, no, but 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 that scene is great. 
because uh, Dennis Quaid has like just gotten back the ability to walk, and he's mm-hmm. walking with a cane into this charity benefit. Yeah. And the mayor, who Cameron oh, Diaz yeah. is always trying to like Please. force into giving her organization more money, even though she's got this weird scheme where she's trying to move the team to Los Angeles. Yeah, I didn't quite understand the logistics of that, but yeah. I also think maybe uh, that's just kind of... I, think, I, think, I think it got left on the cutting room floor. I mean, there may have been more and that we just didn't see. In totality, I think it was meant for a vehicle for that to be a reason for her to get caught at the end by Charlton Heston, <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, well, he was casted for a specific reason, but <laughs> right. at the same time, that, that's fine. Anyways... That scene is great because the mayor says, I want to meet your quarterback. Right. And oh, then yeah. she shows him then, and he says, no, I met the black guy. But I love Dennis Quaid being like, <laughs> yeah. he means Willie. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love Willie. that, too. And yeah. then he feels so funny. He's like, ha, 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 I, don't know. I, I, I watched that scene you, a couple yeah. times, actually, because it was so good. I was yeah. like, wait, did that actually, did that actually happen? Oh, yeah. yeah. Just just as is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. that, that part's great. And Cameron Diaz, I think, is very good in this. And I think when she's given a chance, yeah. that's the problem. Like, the end of her career with, like, Bad Teacher and things like that. Like, she was given poo roles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That movie with Ashton Kutcher she was in it was not good. What Ooh. happened in Vegas? What happened in Vegas? I saw yeah. that in the theaters. And then she, re- she pretty much retired, right? Like, she's out, I think. As far as I know. Well, yeah. I, I was But she say, wasn't Shrek. Oh, okay. Um, Fiona. I, I was going to say, though, I think we have not heard the last from Cameron Diaz. I suspect in Probably about not. maybe two to five years, we're going to see her in some stuff and she's going to make a serious comeback, she, much like Diane Lane or somebody like she's that. She's in that you know? weird phase, and I'm saying not as something that I subscribe to, but mm-hmm. the way Hollywood you know, does this where she's lost her 20 somethings looks. Mm. So therefore she's not hot enough. And I, I'm not saying this, but as far as like how we cast roles, unfortunately as Mm -hmm. a society and she could very much, if she wants to, I think have a resurgence once she starts uh, looking more like a grandmother Mm. because there she'll be the hot grandmother and she'll have her Susan Saran resurgence. Exactly. And and I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that's how it should be, but unfortunately (laughs) that's how, you know, it all works out. Susan Saran, who somehow looked better when she was 60 than she did when she was 30? Um, About that. Yeah, maybe 40. You know, but I mean, when yeah, she... I okay. Know. I mean, I'm... I don't I'm know. Rocky I, I, Horror Picture Show? I have studied Susan Sarandon's I was going to say, this is like, unfortunately... This is one of my areas. I, I've entered a, a unfortunate... In a, a very uncomfortable wet dream for Dan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Heidi understands. She's like, yeah, that's cool. I get it. <laughs> She's still on the list. It's fine. Yeah. She, yeah. she might be in a nursing home. But, but there was the... Well, it's more of the Jill Stein issue, but never mind. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. She voted for Jill Stein. Anyway, yeah, sorry, she did. Go. Can yeah. I say yes. something I did not like about this movie? And it's yeah. a little thing, um, but for some reason it infuriated me. And it's kind of hypocritical because I liked this in another movie, and I'll explain that. Mm-hmm. But I kind of hated the fact that the end credits have an actual important plot you know, scene like that. It's a little hypocritical because I, I mean, of how much you and I love wild things. Okay. And I will, now, granted, I will that's that is totally the movie different. I am talking about and mm-hmm. I will get into that. True. But here's the thing. Uh, wild things doesn't have deep character arcs. The entire movie is True. technically a, 
Archetypes. Yeah, I was going to say, archetypes, it's a farce, Mm -hmm. and technically the credits is literally trying to say, oh, you you know, you thought you knew the whole story, but all these stupid twists and turns weren't actually anything for the twists and turns that we're going to show you, even in the end credits, and it's just like, it's it's indulgence in the same way Wolf of Wall Street is, you know, it's just too much of a good thing. Here, I feel like we have poignant character arcs for characters, some I think work, some I think don't, but... Al Pacino's technically story does not wrap up until the end credits. And for some weird reason, uh, A, the placement, like I thought it was weird in the end credits itself, but B, the significance of the ending in and of itself didn't quite gel with me because I don't understand why we're watching an entire story about a coach who is kind of past his bygone era, which is not to say that he's a bad coach now, but he is no longer in the position that he's in and he's no longer coaching the same team and with the same, uh, you know, colleagues or whatever. So why would an ending in the credits basically get off by saying, oh, you know what? He stole the star quarterback and he's going to a whole new team. Like, I, I, I'm not saying that that's not realistic or that, that that couldn't happen in real life, but how is that satisfying as a character arc where you kind of thought that there was an... You know, I mean, he literally disappears during the Willie uh, Beeman's, you know, monologue on the field after the game. And, like, that is a poignant, you know, moment where mm-hmm. it's like the coach is gone now, whatever. So for the credits Dude. to literally do a, a you know, 360 reversal or 180 reversal on mm. that kind of sentiment. It's an odd choice. It's an odd choice. It, it's it's, it's I, It works for me, though, overall. It, it's, I mean, I'm, it's I'm, as Oliver Stone deciding to give that character the last laugh, which I think. And I say, uh, fuck that. <laughs> I agree, but uh, I think that's a little bit of Oliver Stone being in agreement with that character because he's that old white guy. Well, and also, I mean, there's something um, which I hadn't noticed until I saw it the most recent time, mm-hmm. but there was something very poignant about that scene where Beeman and Al Pacino's character are out there on the field, right? And, and it's yeah. before the right before the credits start rolling. And Beeman's like, yeah, you know, and he's, they're talking and they're having kind of a... Heart to heart, heart to heart, and yeah. understanding of sorts. And Beeman turns around and he sh- and he throws the ball, and he's like, "Yeah, my arm's been feeling kind of," which I think is actually really interesting because it's like, okay, it's also hinted at throughout the film. Oh, where of he course, keeps yeah. looking at it in different settings. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But and he makes mentions to El Pacino's character mm-hmm. repeatedly about like, I don't know how long I'm going to do this, right. which and seems fatalistic. His, his, his shoulder possibly hurting or whatever after a game or something. But but that aligns him with Cap, who he had just said, man, I learned more things from Cap in that that first half than I learned, you know, my last four years. And it's interesting because he throws the ball and he starts talking about his, well, possible injury down the line. And he looks over and Al Pacino's gone. Like, daddy's gone. You know, like like Kaiser. Anyway, (laughs) um, but it immediately starts. He's like, yeah, I'm not sure... I've been feeling kind of, oh, he's not here anymore. And that's when they start rolling the credits. And in a way, if they had ended there, it would yes. have been really interesting. Now, I don't mind the the post-credit or, or the uh, during-the-credits thing 
I, I agree in a way he's kind of trying to have his cake and eat it too, because that would be a really powerful ending if he's like, oh God, you know, Beeman's on the same road as Cap now, mm-hmm. which is, is absolutely something they're hinting yeah, at. Through it's the even whole more thing. true to life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it is kind of interesting to see, okay, so now we're moving on to the next game, which they lost, you know, San Francisco beat our ass. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. we're done for the playoffs, but we gave it the old college try or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I found I, that interesting. It would literally that entire ending credit scene I was actually enjoying because I'm like oh at least they give lip service to Nick Crozier's storyline mm-hmm. yeah. like okay now he's the head coach and and so on and so forth and even Cameron Diaz like okay has now. her little line yep well yeah. and even John C. McGinley where he's like yeah I'm gonna miss that son of a bitch it's like yeah you know he threw me <laughs> smoke some cigars for me yeah exactly I, I, mean, I, I do like the random really 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 random line too where uh, Anne Margaret says something about the dogs say they're going to miss you. Oh, <laughs> she says the dogs say they're going to miss me. Oh, yeah, exactly. I love that. And I don't even no, mind that, like, Cameron Diaz is supposed to be giving a speech, but then she turns to <laughs> Al Pacino and talks to him one-on-one in a very weirdly She also calls out the mayor during a press conference. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> right, All that right. is fine. It's just for that to be punctuated by Al Pacino getting the upper hand, whatever, when he's never been portrayed as that. Like, if anything, yeah. his entire career characterization consistently has been a man tethered to the past for better and for worse because part of it is what made him a good coach and you know it made him unwavering and whatever but he learned things he's a sly mongoose my friend by the end I mean the camera literally follows him leaving the press conference which basically says that none of the other characters matter and this is his story and in in my opinion that's just bullshit but Mm. I will say that technically speaking uh, you know the entire scene itself is not bad. I just I hated that as a capper to his story because I mm. would have much preferred that final scene between him and Willie to be mm-hmm. the final scene. But what about that soulful, uh, you know, song with Jamie Foxx? Like, and they came on Sunday with that soulful falsetto. I mean, that was going on during the whole ending credits. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he hadn't reached his uh, peak of his uh, scene career yet. Yeah, he hadn't quite gotten to Gold Digger. But see, Nick is I mean, looking, uh, giving, he's staring Yeah, he, he's, he's angry. That's okay. That's fine. You know that, what? That, that, that That's a, fine. The, the weird thing about this is this is really early Jamie Foxx. Yeah, it is. I forgot he was in it until he showed up. And I was like, oh, this and was... He's uh, a main character. And he was primarily a, a comedic actor. He had his show, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, I think... I'm he not kind of is here too. Let's be honest. But I think it was before. <laughs> I think it was before he even did Ali, Michael Mann's movie, where mm-hmm. he was. Because I think that was like 2002. That sounds. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. be- it's before Collateral. It's before yeah. right, a lot right. of his his well known roles. Right. Yeah. Collateral was like 2004. I want to say, and I remember Michael yeah. Mann was like, "Well, I really liked him as you know, uh, what was his character's name, Fondini or something like that yeah. in Ali." And so, but again, it was like, those were unusual roles. It was, mm-hmm. it was mostly known as a comedian. You know what I mean? Like he was very much um, like, I don't want to say exactly like, but he was very much like a Martin Lawrence. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, guy. That, I was going to say those two were like at the exact same career tra- uh, mm-hmm. trajectories. And then one person went mm-hmm. uh, skidded into uh, just ridiculous comedy and the other one tried to beef up the serious career right i've never been a big jamie fox fan but i will admit a i enjoyed him here mm. and b i am i enjoy him in michael mann movies mm-hmm. and uh and actually uh in django and chain of course mm-hmm. uh, i just want to put it on the record because i've said bad things about this but i watched ali when it first came out when i was like 
you know, I don't know, 14. I mean, I didn't give a shit about that movie. Sure. You know, whatever. And I thought it was super boring, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially being a sports movie, it's not my thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it took me forever. I finally rewatched it this year for the first time since then. And I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Not only fantastic, but I will say, because I am I hate Will Smith. Wow. <laughs> I just do not think he's very good. Sure. Um, I thought he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. The first 10 minutes of that movie is one of the greatest, like, opening uh, with the Sam Cooke and everything. Oh, with Sam Cooke's yeah. uh, Bring It Back Home? Yeah. And it's but the elongated, oh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a 10-minute, you know, almost over of whatever. So. Well, and when I saw the Ali in the theater, it was not like that. Which I, I know this is going to be a shock to you, but Michael Mann changed it. the cut a little bit or a lot. He would never. I know. And man. Honestly, but the, <laughs> man. Two man. Ends. But yeah, honestly, I was just going to say with two ends. Two ends. Two ends. <laughs> But I mean, he um, honestly, it's a it's a much more interesting film, at least for somebody like me, because yeah. he gets into the politics, he gets into um, uh, what was going on in Zaire at the time with um, mm. Mobutu, who's the dictator. So I mean, for me, it's like I, oh, yeah. I geek out to that. But you know, but also there's more about Malcolm X. Yeah. I, I know it's interesting. But anyway, I just yeah. absolutely, I I just go I go on record saying I was wrong about that movie and about Will Smith in that movie. Mm. But that's in a, no other movie, and uh, you're a brave man. No, honestly, truly, that, that that it takes a lot to admit that you. Uh, well, it just takes a minute to modify your opinion. Thank yeah. you, Thank especially you. for Nick. So well, exactly, it's true. And, and I do <laughs> want to say one other thing about this movie. Um, now, I, Ali I, or I, any no, given no, any given Sunday. Okay. Um, the film I saw the original film not on the theater. But I did see it on video, and I think mm. it might have been VHS or at least DVD, but it was the early days. Yeah. And the version I saw was um, not quite the same as the one I saw most recently. Okay. And uh, what happened was Oliver Stone, I think, removed 10 minutes and added six minutes or something like or might, mm. maybe vice versa. Interesting. So there is actually a scene where I remember it being in the film that wasn't there anymore. It, huh. It's, it's what a was scene, that? Well, it's the scene where Al Pacino is like, uh, your father and I, we we sat down, we shook hands. We didn't, we didn't have a contract, you know. And, Wait, and that we was in the so version. That, we had a beer. That, that's not in the movie anymore. Not in the version I saw. Wow, that was in the, that was in the version collection. I watched. It's also in the version I watched. Okay. Interesting. Now I have the DVD from twelve years ago, and I bought so. it on Voodoo. Hmm. Well, in that case, no. Um, I I got the uh, Oliver Stone collection, which from because, what I understand was the more that, that, recent. Okay, that may be true, but, but, I could but, be wrong. but really quickly, that scene ends with him being like, with Al Pacino walking out the door and Cameron Diaz, and be like, Cameron Diaz right. being like, fucking beer? Yeah. yeah. Beer. That's yep. why I always remember it. And, yeah. and that, that, that that's not in the version you saw? And not in the that's version really I saw. Weird. So he must have did that almost immediately when DVD became a thing. And then I would say all the recent, not even recent, but just... Like whether it's streaming or even the maybe thing you... I, I have a pretty old copy. To be totally honest my, with you, my copy. So. Well, see, I have it as part of the Oliver Stone collection, which at the time huh. was everything from Salvador. The hand was not included. In well, I will say the only all thing the I will... way to I want to say uh, Alexander and two documentaries. Is, he is did. there any chance that that's like a director's cut version or anything? I thought it was maybe because mm. I, I read on Wikipedia that he had deleted something like. Uh, it was either he deleted 10 minutes and added six or he deleted six minutes and added 10. Mm-hmm. So 
anyway, I, I, it struck me because it was a scene that I really remembered where hmm. she's like, beer, you know, and yeah. I, for something, something about her delivery of that. Yeah. Now that said, I didn't miss it that much, but yeah, I, remember, I mean, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they've got that same beat mm-hmm. in, in another spot, but it is interesting kind of watching and going, Oh, that's interesting. But basically he felt like he had, uh, he had to re-edit it a bit to, um, uh, make the pace uh, a little less slack, I guess is what he... That's what I read on Wikipedia. Hmm. I don't see how we could do that with this movie. <sighs> well, that's the thing is, I mean, you know... Roger Just as Ebert, far as, uh, like, the exoskeleton of this movie <laughs> is pretty baked into the entire package. Well, you know, Roger Ebert had a uh, review, uh, I remember reading, where he... He liked was, this film, didn't he? He did, he yeah. did. He gave it... Uh, three and a half. Three out of four, or yeah. three and a half out of four. Three yeah. or three Something and a half. Like that. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's really good, but he's like, eh, at the same time, if some studio execs had to like totally forced him to make a two-hour film, he's like, I don't know if I would miss the other scenes, but you don't know. I mean, it's. it's I will a, say a, for me, you know, the platonic ideal of this movie would be a gen uh, a general sports film. If not, because mm-hmm. I don't want to watch a movie in which anybody critiques the organization or anything, sure. but I don't think Oliver Stone, for whatever reason, I think he was about a few years past his prime when it comes to indicting those mm-hmm. kind of organizations. Bit, yeah. And it's almost like when we watched Days of Sun, uh, Days of Thunder yeah. earlier mm-hmm. this year, where mm-hmm. almost like I watched that movie really really liked it mm-hmm. and i was like oh man i kind of wish there was more about like the actual organization or whatever mm-hmm. and that was just a popcorn movie and i liked it as such yeah i almost wish any given sunday was more like that <laughs> yeah. so two things right. uh, i will say uh one oliver stone uh has a character in this film as he is one of the uh play-by-play yes. commentators um first of all i think he's great actually uh, he does a good job in, in this because he is, is is the theme that I pull away from this. He's being honest in his portrayal. He's um, obviously sexist, mm. uh, which uh, unfortunately a lot of commentators have been over time. Male, white commentators have been over time. He's honest in the fact that he has multiple lines where he talks about what is the action that's happening in the field? And he's just like, oh, yeah, this is happening. That was stupid. So or or he says something. He, he even has a line where he says, oh, we got to take another damn commercial break. And I'm like, <laughs> you'll never, and you'll never hear a commentator say that, but that is honest. And yeah, that's he has, unless their mic is hot. <laughs> well, ugh. Tom Tom Brenneman, yeah, he had. He just said today he's never said that word sure. ever before, and I'm like, wait a minute. Sure. Out of all the excuses that you could possibly give to somehow say you magically said the word, yeah. anyway, they yeah, faked it's a, it. They, it's they, all faked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, he has one of his last lines of this film is actually fantastic. And it's mm. during, uh, and this is one of the two moments, and I will get, uh, well, I mentioned the other one earlier, but um, there are three moments, I guess, where Emily had a visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. And this is the second one that I'll mention, and I'll mention the other one in a couple minutes. But um, So, in the final game, mm. when <laughs> the opposing player gets his eye knocked oh, out. Oh, Lord, I was afraid it, you were going to talk about that. It's, it, it, is, it is gruesome, for sure, and it is, like, graphic. I mean, they even have the person, like, picking the eye up yeah. and, like, putting it into the bag, and it looks authentic. I was not expecting that in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Anyways, uh, it cuts then to Oliver Stone as the TV commentator saying, uh, 
I think he has an eye injury. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Just the way he delivers that some, is pretty great. This might damage, be happening. Yeah. I have to admit, it's one of my least favorite parts. And I, I, the the the, uh, the guy getting his eye knocked out? Yeah. And, and it it like, makes no sense. He has some damage <laughs> to the eye. I actually wrote in my notes the lameness. I'm so sorry. I, yeah, I don't mean to. That's okay. But I mean, t- to each his own. But yeah, that was one of the parts where I actually remembered it from the original. And I remember thinking that was really crappy before. You know, so again. It makes no sense. It doesn't really because it's like, well, we've, we haven't really built up this, this particular opposing player to be this big villain. Or no, he's, he's nobody. Yeah. It's like they go yeah. from, like within a minute. It's like. Oh, also, has that ever happened? Like just. I don't think so. I was going to say like, not that there has to, to be a precedent, but for a movie like this um, you know, you would think I feel, that it I feel, would want I feel to be like big. they wanted to have something that was somewhat equal to right. uh, Luther Shark uh, LeVay's <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, ending scene where he's pretty much dead yeah. on the field. Right. <laughs> I got a million dollars. It's like, wait well, a minute. It, it, Man, is, it is funny. I just um, I, I wonder if it would have been much better if he died. Tone. Wait. Oh, Lawrence Taylor's character. Yeah. The shark? Yeah. Yeah. Not um, because I want him to die. Yes, but, like, I almost felt like that was the movie coming that's down a, on the that, side of, like, oh, well, he's going to be okay then. And I'm like, that's he's not, not going to be okay. That's not the point of this because it, it plays some uplifting music underneath mm. him being carried away. And I'm like, that's not a good it, it, thing. It, it's, I got it, the feeling he was never going to walk again. I mean, no, probably, they, were, they, had, they had telegraphed e- that. Even if he times. was. But I don't think the movie is going to actually try to make uh, you think about that. Sure. I don't that's know. Fine. I. <sighs> I don't know because here's the thing. Like, I don't feel like this movie pulls too many punches. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say, I'm even though he's not a good person, I applaud this movie for casting uh, Lawrence Taylor mm-hmm. in that role because he is not a good person in real life, and it's it's authentic. Like yeah. he is one of the greatest defensive players in the history of the NFL. Oh, he's a real football player. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, New York and Giants. The, the liter- I will say this. They he li- gave a good performance. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. And they literally mentioned that he changed linebacking, which in real life, he did. True. Like, he, he was a legitimately game-changing player yeah. in the National Football League, and then he gave a, a authentic is performance. Is he the only person that's not, like, in a cameo role, but, like, uh, NFL actual player. No, Jim Brown. Oh, well, Jim Brown. But Jim oh, Brown's a coach, of course. Oh, Jim Brown's oh, like... G- Jim Brown's a Hall of Famer. Clearly, He's, I don't know anything about Jim football. Brown's like the greatest rusher G- ever. I didn't right? know Jim, Jim Brown's a Hall of Famer. Uh, the, Has the Jim co- Brown not been in movies before this? Or uh, in been? the 70s, he started acting in black exploitation films. But okay. I mean, and then there was—I thought he had an actual, well, then there was a natural period. swagger to his Absolute. screen presence. Oh, he definitely he was, was well cast. He was this. definitely yes. familiar with. Yeah. He knew how to hit his mark and everything. But in the eighties, he kind of disappeared, and then in the mid nineties, he showed up in Mars Attacks with Pam Grier, <laughs> and I love that scene where he's like, he's like basically like, I'm—he plays an ex boxer. And he's like, I'm going to punch the shit out of these Martians. And it's a kind of a redemption story. It, it's actually really beautiful. But, but there are a lot of people casted in cameo roles here. Uh, Terrell sure. Owens plays one of the wide receivers, and he okay. was a current NFL player at the time. Yeah. Right. Um, Barry Switzer, who is a, oh. a coach for the Cowboys for many years, is the other commentator in the final, uh, oh, final game. He? I didn't know with, that. Um, um, Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, so there are a lot of NFL. I assume people that there was casted. cameos, and then yeah. I couldn't quite. But I never actually. Knew no, but about Lawrence Taylor is like a, a actual character. Yeah, 
in this film, and I think he's actually pretty good. I was going to say, both of them, I would have assumed, were actors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, LT, uh, there's that speech he gives in the steam room, which is like an honest-to-God, like, profound come-to-Jesus moment where he's talking to Beeman about almost like the realism you know what I mean? The, well, that comes uh, after the 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 yeah. house party where he uh, yes turns on him completely because right. he, he's angry about his comments he made yeah, in that. that interview with John C. McGinley. Right, which uh, I love that by the that way. That interview is fantastic. Yeah, give because, me some love, dude. The, he's like, he, he's, I'm gonna. He, he's trying to play into love. all of the racist tropes, and he's just oh, yeah. not having it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but LT. I mean that that whole scene where he's talking about. You know, what it really comes down to is blank. And it, it's very much about, like, don't... There's hype, but don't buy into your own hype. Don't mm. self-hype. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there's something about it. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's it's a very pivotal scene for me. You know? Well, you've always had to wrestle with that. Because you've always had this aura of hype True. surrounding you. True. I mean, when I walk in a room, it's like, ah. Clearly, you know, there's like a light shining behind me, and I'm, I'm, you know, and the camera comes up from below. The the right. the one of his better scenes is really, uh, I don't want to say small, but it, but it's kind of minor. Later on in the film, right before the final game, uh, when he is in the office oh, yeah. doctor's room, whatever, Asking with Matthew Modine. Yeah. And mm-hmm. by the way, pretty early role for yeah. him because he's become more prominent in his later years. But mm-hmm. here he's Stranger playing kind of a like... younger character in mm-hmm. his you know earlier days. Anyways, mm-hmm. who also outs James Woods, which is fine. I wish more people would have done that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Amen. So anyways, he is, you know, saying, give me give me, you know, that cortisone shit. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, it doesn't make sense. And he's like, please. And they don't show it, but you know he gave it he to does, him. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we have the really uh, random scene to just, like, pops up for, like, two seconds of Matthew Modine, like, talking with one of the cheerleaders that he's clearly going to yes. start hanging out with. And it was it's almost like, like, oh, the, he's going on that path. Yeah, like, the yeah. cycle's continued. Which is a shame, because I like the Matthew Modine character. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly do, and I feel like he's trying to do right. He does, well, the, right, I, he does the right thing by outing uh, James Wood. I think that's the a big thing. Person. When but James Wood is yeah. in the picture, his character, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, well, this is the real bad person. Therefore, right. I'm not, you know, because I'm trying to fight this or whatever. But then once he outs him mm-hmm. and once he gets him out of the picture and he mm-hmm. realizes that there's now a path forward for him, then so of course... Doing similar things. Yes, and that's where it's like, oh, this is what I can do. And yeah, uh, You know, that's another scene I always remember even from the first time I saw it was mm-hmm. that scene where James Woods is like, He's basically trying to justify himself. He's like, ah, blah, blah, blah. You he's don't such understand. a con man, though. He's such a, but then there's that moment where he kind of like looks down, and there's a pause of maybe like two or three seconds, and he's like, "It's still trash." It, well, it is, but he's like, "Did you ever? Did you ever have a dream?" And Matthew Modine's like, "I'm living it, man." And he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, all right." But I mean, it, but, it's, but, but, it but the, pro- the problem with that is it's, it's so self-serving, though. Well, for of course. Him. Because he's like Donald Trump in that sense, where right. he's just saying whatever he thinks is going to work These for him in that gladiators. situation. These are gladiators. These are warriors. No, for, for real, though. Because yeah, yeah, he's saying true. that. And then afterwards, because 
I, I maybe wouldn't feel that way if five seconds later he wasn't like trying to beckon the cheerleader that he's banging right. at the time. He's like, well, and he's no, like no, I'm going to no. stay here. He's like, oh, okay, go and get butt fucked by a bunch of Neanderthals. It's like, wait a minute, you just I'm were like, talking about these men's yeah, dreams. I thought these were gladiators. Yeah. Now they're Neanderthals. Yeah, yeah. So there's a serious racial component there. Well, but it is. It, yeah. But I always remember that part for some reason. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's the strength of James Woods. There's a, there's some really what? weird scenes with James Woods. Mm-hmm. There's that really random scene in the locker room where it like starts, uh, and this is this is kind of on Oliver Stone, but <laughs> it like turns into like security cam footage for whatever mm. reason. It's very bizarre. He does that a couple times, and it's really yeah, annoying. It, it makes no sense. It doesn't really work. No. Um, <laughs> one thing I like about the James Woods character, though, is that the scene between him and Al Pacino, the big blowout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. I actually pretty much... I'm, I love the John C. McGinley ending to that. Oh. That's just fucking great. Did you oh, get yeah. that? Like it's, <laughs> I was yeah, going to say... nailed I, in the, in the nose with that. Yeah, and the, it looks uh, like a dugout, And, and, and I, I do love the, the other part of that, which is after he re, uh, Al Pacino reads the extremely disingenuous apology. apology and then he walks by and shakes his hand and he says, where's your wheelchair? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like, well, that basically negated the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Anyways, Nick, go ahead. I, no, I was going to say, though, that I, I the blowout between the two of them, James Wood and Al Pacino's character, I feel like that's the only moment in which James Wood's character actually does have a leg to stand on. Not mm. a complete one, but sure. I don't buy that, in at least in this narrative and, and honestly in real life, that somebody like a medical practitioner owned by the team or whatever mm-hmm. can be doing things that the coach is unaware of. You know what I mean? That Oh, he's aware of it. Right. Oh, but but he's got he's he's surrounded himself with plausible deniability. Absolutely, and so when he's admitted, you know, to it, like in face to face, and there's no other whatever, then he plays the high card of like, oh, I would never, <laughs> you know, want that. And it's more that he's actually upset that I, now- d- I do love that James Woods then brings up specific names in like five yes. of them. I love that like what too. about this and this yes. and this and this. Yeah, he's like, and what about Wizbecki and all these other yeah. names? And I'm like, wow, those are very specific names. And oh, I love yeah. That. He's, yeah. He's got those receipts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, oh, I yeah. absolutely he love knows that who scene. The bodies are very- and I actually think that that's what leads to the, the, the finale of that scene where he shoves John McGinley's, uh, John C. McGinley's <laughs> character, uh, which is actually a great capper because the yeah. whole movie. You've been building up to I that. I was going to say, you keep seeing John C. McGinley, who I love. I mean, I oh, grew I up on the too. show Scrubs. That was like the first mm, sure. comedy I ever fell in love with because that's how young I am. I actually really okay. like him playing the random cop in the movie Seven. Oh, yeah. He's like oh, yeah. The somebody lead. fucking call somebody. Does yeah. he say that at the end? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, also, the he, he's also the guy who finds. Uh, um, the, the guy who they believe is dead and then starts moving. He's like, what the fuck is this? Oh, oh yeah. nice. Pretty yeah. great. He's yeah. also in Set It Off where he actually plays a cop. He's been in so many things. Like, he's say, great in um, Office Space. Yes. yes. I was going to say, during the 90s. One of the bombs. Uh, the bombs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the pleasures on this side of the table. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway, sorry, well, no, and me and Dan obviously love him in uh, Talk Radio oh, uh, by Oliver Stone as well. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite lines plays of all time. the uh, audio engineer. He yeah he plays Whatever the uh, no he would play the audio engineer yeah. yeah but he's got that line where he's like dead air Barry yes we which is maybe like air. the best line in that movie it is because it's such a punctuation at the end yeah. of this enormously emotional moment yep which but he's in a lot of uh, Oliver Stone films he's in uh, Platoon actually was the first thing oh, I saw right. him but he's in some other stuff too yeah, he, yeah. he was definitely a favorite of Oliver but Stone he's so great and so for this movie for that character to literally build 
almost ex- almost exclusively through media appearances where mm-hmm. you see him on the TV, you see him either talking to Willie Beeman or even when you see him in like that, I don't know if it's a bullpen or yeah. whatever it is, the mm-hmm. newsroom type thing where, yeah. you know, whatever. Even that seems like it's kind of a media appearance in and of mm-hmm. itself because he's writing a town or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but his comments are gold or whatever. And for it to kind of almost fester underneath and kind mm-hmm. of uh, bubble uh, to the surface to the point where the whole blowout between uh, Pacino and James Wood would surface and then he's just right there and he's the only one and, and he's got a very punchable face in this in this movie <laughs> very true because of the things that he said or whatever doesn't he have uh, I, I know in the actual like later scenes he has a bandage around his nose yeah yeah doesn't, no, he, he, does, doesn't he have uh, in one scene and it's minor but doesn't he have like a, a whole like neck brace on or something I think like, so at is, least one scene it yeah. is like very sure. ambulance chaser yeah. no he's Doing the yeah. whole, he's going all the it. way. Oh yeah, yeah. and and it's fantastic. I, the the where's your wheelchair comment is is great. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, there's so many ancillary char- ancillary characters. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this film that are great, the one that I love, who's a terrible person, is the offensive lineman who has the eye shadow. Uh, oh throughout yeah, it. The, yeah. The, with the gator, that the, the white guy. Yes. No, okay. hold on. No, okay. I, I think I know. Where, I might know where you're going. Maybe not. But if I do, if I if you don't know where I'm going, hmm. you'll love this. Okay. If you do know, it'll still be funny. Okay. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he's the guy from Aquaman, and and, and no, uh, stop talking. Okay. So anyways, he Game of Thrones. Please know, stop talking. Can okay. you? Can Fine. You, go can you, on. Please just stop. Anyways, God. so that guy is great, mostly because there's two things that make him great in this movie. He had, well, okay, first, not even related to the things I was going to talk about, uh, he's a terrible person, obviously, mm. when the uh, his wife, who is pregnant again, talks <laughs> about the fact that they they should get a maid because they can afford it. He oh, says, right. why would I get a maid? That's what I have you for. Yeah, he's like, uh, why else did I get married? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, so uh, one scene that that guy has, which is fantastic, is when he's talking to an old lady uh, at a party. Yes, you know what I'm going to bring up. Mm-hmm. He's talking to an old lady at a party, and she's talking about how she's between marriages. And then he says to her, "Well, what do you do for dick?" <laughs> that scene killed yeah. me. I watched that whole party scene twice because I was like, yeah. "Did that actually?" <laughs> so, anyways, that actor, uh, his name is Andrew um, Bruneski. Anyways, uh, seven years prior, he played Max Shrek's son in Batman Returns. Are you serious? Yeah, and I fucking love that. Oh, man. It's okay, Dad. I'll take your place. Oh, wow. That's so weird. Oh, my Lord. Christopher Walken's son. Yeah, it's pretty great. That's amazing. I did not know that. I I assumed he was a football player who they just cast for this one movie. I actually thought he may have... uh, (laughs) Been the one football player that I didn't know or whatever because because he got that build and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say on his awesome. character, oh, it is uh, <laughs> the one thing that I kind of love is that that he's the only white football player that even resembles a not even a, like a subplot but a character. Like everybody else on the team, more like a caricature. I think it's caricature for sure. Yeah, but everybody else we follow on the team just, is just there is African American. Oh yeah, that's true. You know, from Willie Beeman to the LL Cool J character to mm-hmm. uh, the shark and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of actually respected that because I feel like there was a, a 
little bit of a uh, knee-jerk reaction. I mean, besides Dennis Quaid, but he's not really He's actually, not really there. I was going to say, he's yeah. literally past his prime. Yeah. And so I, I kind of enjoyed that because I felt I, like a lot of movies from that era, and or at least from the era after it too, would have had a white male character be this, like, mm-hmm. this the main character and gotten the other character. Something, and we have that a little bit with something also that I, it's not that I like it, but I like that it uh, just like so many things in this film feels real to mm-hmm. me. It feels authentic. The fact that the one scene where they are in the locker room and they're all celebrating after a win, they have rap music playing. He starts playing heavy metal music. Right. And it feels like at least at the onset of that scene, it's going to turn into a white supremacist moment. <laughs> And in fact, it really doesn't. Like no. it, feel, it feels like him just being like, he almost like starts a speech talking like Hulk Hogan. He's like, "Let me tell you something, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to right. love this." <laughs> like I, I don't know. There's something about it. Like it actually feels kind of like positive. No, the that oh, yeah, and they're kind I, of ripping each other almost, yeah. like in a positive and in, in affectionate way. Yeah. yeah, I will also say the locker room scene, particularly when they're showering, is earnestly homoerotic, and I like that a lot. <laughs> you mean just, with the gator? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just the whole thing is like they're showing you uh, like, I mean, I went to gym class where at least in my period, uh, there was like eight or nine football players, whatever. Sure. And it's like they all went to the showers during gym class and then none of us did because we were normal and, <laughs> and we didn't care how much we stink. You didn't want to participate you in know, whatever. Frankly, homoerotic It's like, uh, I was going to say, it's like it was normal for them. It wasn't for us. Sure. And we were going to put <laughs> on our pants. sex with other men. I yeah, guess. exactly. Yeah. Right, right. No, I understand. And we just went yeah. about our that's, business. That's some people, Listen, they enjoy that. It's heterosexuality funny. is, no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not trying to. Pens. I'm not trying to fuck? advertise for heteronormative behavior. I'm just saying, <laughs> I like to make fun of certain people who are athletes because they can't stand it. If you even mention a whiff of yeah, them being, much. like, if you mention on the Kinsey scale, they're even vaguely. I was going to say homosexual because we all are to an extent. Extremely homophobic, but. I do admit that every once in a while I try to tell my dad that John Wayne was gay. And <laughs> well, his first name was Marion. That is true. It's a yeah. woman's name. Yeah. I'm just saying. And he, he's not having it. Anyway, mm. um, I, 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 but this movie. No, no one can be that that anti-gay and not have a little have a little bit in in the closet i oh, mean yeah. we all have some and and, and yeah, when you right. suppress it like that it's like wow you have most you're putting you're lot. putting up a flag oh yeah yes exactly <laughs> but i will admit i i do think oliver stone portrayed uh shall we say the locker room scenes in in in, in the right amount of camaraderie that i feel like was actually you know mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't like i now pronounce you chuck and larry <laughs> levels of like uh, what you know like yeah where like people are like literally gasping because somebody dropped a soap bar um <laughs> no no it was much more routine and no, no it I was agree. And, I agree. And, and i and i absolutely appreciated that so yeah no i i'm as, as i've mentioned I'm, I'm a big even though i don't i i don't love this i think it's really good um i i do really really like this film and it's grown on me over the years mm-hmm. um the last thing that I definitely wanted to talk about before uh, we move on to final reigns, and I'm oh, totally... I have a lot to say. No, still. no, no. no. Okay. I, I, I was going to say I'm the last thing I want to talk about. I'm going to need to speak for some time. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll let you, and then we'll go to final ratings. But, cool. but the last thing I will say before 
um, you know, we, we start winding down and, and letting Dan speak for four hours. Um, <laughs> That's fair. It's about the, the Ben-Hur and Charlton Heston references here. Yeah, the editing is amazing. I think it's fantastic mm-hmm. uh, in this. And as someone who obviously does not agree at all with Charlton Heston, even though he's dead now, mm-hmm. um, but but where he went, especially mm-hmm. towards the end of his life and also earlier too, but... Um, I love the way that this film does that because I feel like this is a really interesting case where this film not only just plays off a genre, but also weirdly includes film history in a way because when we have the scene where Willie Beeman goes to Tony D'Amato's house, he goes to Al Pacino's house for the dinner scene. Um, and he walks in, and it's kind of like slow played that Ben Hur is on the right. television in in um, Al Pacino's house, mm-hmm. and we kind of see it in the background in a in the first couple moments that they have together. Yeah, and then, and there, and then, and there's then, even like a little comment. I think Beeman says something like "Ah, oh, the gladiators of old" or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and, and 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 Pacino makes a comment about it, and, and it moves on, and whatever. But at the same time, uh, it's just kind of in the background there. And then it's brought into the foreground Mm -hmm. as it's just shown on the scene as we see very specific parts of the chariot scene. The obviously most famous part of Ben-Hur. The original Ben-Hur. I saw saw the remake in the theater. What a pile of poo. Anyways, that's fine. So, um, Jack Houston from... um, Boardwalk Empire. Oh, that's yeah. the only reason I went. That's I li- fine. I like him. <laughs> I do too. He, he hasn't worked out for him in his career, but that's fine. <laughs> Anyways, that was his one starring role. It didn't pan out. Anyways, so the Ben Hur portion uh, of that, where it is clearly played over, um, and and the gladiator portion of professional football is not. It, it's 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 obvious. Like it's it's out mm-hmm. there. Like. There's it, there's very much truth to the fact that Americans have embraced this idea that we are living in this gladiator culture that loves this shit. Like, mm-hmm. this is a culture that is totally for this presentation that happened hundreds of years ago right? Uh, in this very specific part in time. When you'll notice, uh, just really quick, in the Ben-Hur mm-hmm. clips, there are several times where they show people who are being trampled. And, and people are killed. just cheering. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, woo! I mean, they, they went out of their it's way. It's mean, true that, to life. Yeah, that chariot yeah. scene, I believe, in Ben-Hur is like 40 minutes long. So they, they Oliver Stone clearly went out of his way to mm-hmm. show people being uh, trampled and killed by their own But he stuff, shows very specific you know? parts of the and, chariot yeah, scene. Absolutely. Which are uh, obviously very... <laughs> picked out for not just mm-hmm. what they were but but for, for what they showed um i love that charlton heston is in this movie and more than anything i love that he plays the commissioner of the uh <laughs> football league that's in there because that is such perfect casting for what he was trying to go with and I feel like Charlton Heston didn't know what he was being casting at. Right. He's just like, I feel like Ooh. he didn't know where he was. Probably not. I mean, that was towards the end of his life. I don't sure. mean that as a pejorative. I just mean, like, when he finally showed up, I just felt like, I'm like, this is stunt casting to an almost gross degree. Where I, not, not that where I, I thought it was you. bad, 
But I was just like, there's just no point to this, you know, because right. he, he doesn't get to be an actual, like, menacing figure. He literally just shows up. Well, he just shows uh, up and he's like, I truly believe this woman yeah. would eat her own young. Yeah. You know? But then they all just laugh at it. Yeah. And it's and like, it's ha, like ha, ha, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'll be yeah. on your side. I believe yeah. he was clearly cast for a purpose. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and he was obviously casted because of the Ben-Hur uh, gladiator inclusion. Sure. But the fact that he has progressed, um, it, it almost, to me, feels similar to the... Uh, is it Oliver Reed character in Gladiator? The, yes. uh, the Russell Crowe movie? Oliver, Oliver Reed, yes, yes. that's right. Where, where he, he has moved on from being an actual gladiator to being someone who is peddling this shit. Right. Um, and he is now the owner uh, of, hmm. of all of it. Now, well, Oliver Reed is not, but he is, he no, is but leading he this, this ring. Yeah. yeah. And in, in, in any given Sunday, uh, we see Charlton Heston as the commissioner of this entire league. Hmm. And I love his character for a couple reasons, but the, the biggest one is, is, is the fact that, the way he talks to um, Cameron Diaz's character, which is so important to me, because of 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 the way that he lets her play along with this whole thing, yeah. he's asking her about her golf game. <laughs> he, he's talking about the team that she owns, right. and then he he ends it by saying, "Well, by the way, uh, we're gonna need you. You've to, made uh... <laughs> you you've broken rules. We're gonna need you to come on out on Wednesday. Does that right. work for you? Yeah, there'll I, be a I, panel I, to uh, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. um, and and yeah, that ending uh, line that you just mentioned, Dan, is mm. is stupid. But at the same it's, time, it's in some ways it's fine. Mm. I mean, I don't think it's fair to her character, but it's probably yeah. what Charlton Heston's character thought of her. Yeah. you know. But at the same time, um. I, I I don't feel bad at all because I think Charlton was a terrible person, mm-hmm. but I, I also think that he was casted in something that he had no idea what it actually was, <laughs> and he just showed up. He's like, "Ooh, these are really good strong male readings," <laughs> and he's just like, "Look at this!" And now, like years later, he's long dead, and that's fine. But at the same time, I watch it every time, and I'm like, "Man, this guy's a real piece of shit." Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> but he, yeah. he but he presents so nice. You know, he's so slick. Does he, though? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. In a way, it reminds me of another Oliver Stone film, uh, Natural Born Killers, where mm-hmm. uh, Rodney Dangerfield um, played mm-hmm. the uh, abusive father in this sort of sick, uh, twisted uh, sitcom mm-hmm. that appears uh, in the first third of the film. And Rodney Dangerfield, to his credit, at one point during the film, he walked up to Oliver Stone, and he's like, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like these lines are funny. You know, they're not funny. And, mm-hmm. and Oliver Stone's like, just keep doing it the way you're doing it because he's right. They're not funny. They're horrifying because he's this abusive, awful, drunken father. But at the same time, it's also like it's, you need somebody like Rodney Dangerfield to uh, deliver it like in a sitcom. So in a way, I mean, maybe uh, it's stunt casting. Although I, I mean, I I'd like to think that eventually Rodney Dangerfield did sort of, you know, get Mm. hip to what was happening. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't think Charlton Heston knew what he was doing. True. And I think it was for the better for everyone who views it True. 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. All right. So so before we go to Final Reigns, Dan, you had a well, bunch of things you wanted to mention. So let, let's do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like the film starts out as something that could have been a really brilliant uh, treatise on the way the media, the owners, the players, the fans, everybody sort of 
accidentally collaborates to create yeah. this sort of blood sport. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I feel like they're pushing each other to ever more uh, barbaric heights. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that way, it's a lot like Natural Born Killers, where the media and uh, the people are sort of uh, goading these people into ever more horrifying spectacle, right? Mm-hmm. But I, in the end, I, I actually felt like it was a more... And and I know you love the film very much, but I, I, I have to admit, I felt... It was a more muddled ensemble piece, and and I felt some of the subplots were, um, maybe a little pedestrian. I guess I mean not to say that the, nothing. There's nothing wrong with going over stuff that's already been done before. I mean, yeah. what is original? But I felt like at times I was seeing stories that I had seen before, and and they were fine, and and it was fine in this film too. But it, it didn't feel like they were more than the sum of their parts. I think I, th- I think the problem is is that um, instead of focusing on specific aspects mm-hmm. of professional football that are horrifying, which are sure. pretty much all of them, Absolutely. even though people love them, sure, uh, it, myself included, which is mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, just reality, right? Um, I feel like Oliver Stone tried to do everything, and that was to its detriment. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I would say that I think, for for me at least, for coming out in 1999 and whatnot, is that this felt like, uh, if someone else had made it, I'd almost be enamored with it. Mm-hmm. But because it was Oliver Stone and I knew what he was capable of only five to six, seven years prior, I, I would have mm-hmm. expected more of a nuanced uh, mm. chopping up of this uh, ensemble. Right. I mean, and the editing is brilliant. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in it where I But, I but you could watch it and be just turned off by it. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. sure. I, mean, I will it, say some of the super... Superimpositions are, I think, grating and god awful. All the uh, ones the, of the old uh, fans and stuff, because I thought that yeah. was cool, but I had forgotten about. I I had not remembered at if all. If that was the that. only thing he had done, that would have been kind of interesting, and mm-hmm. it, maybe it would have had its powerful impact. But because he does weird tricks, it like feels like that, a Danny Boyle movie. He, Actually, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to say it, but I'm going to say it because you said it, and I completely agree. <laughs> now, that, to that be honest just with you, I love Danny many. Boyle films. I do but, but, as well when he's on his all, game. But I love all the tricks, too, depending Ugh. on the film. If it, if it works for the come narrative. On. Like, but you know, when Millions, he's... for instance, has got a million tricks, but it works out. Oh. Come on, in, in Steve Jobs, when he has like a rocket ship taking off on the side of the wall. I was going to say, you have an Aaron Sorkin film. script, and yet you're going to... I, I love to... Steve Jobs. I was going to say, that's one of his all-time favorite movies. Yeah. To say, I know For that was reason. your your favorite of the year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, but that part of it is stupid. I completely agree. I <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that movie, but like I'm like you have an Aaron Sorkin script that's good because not all of his scripts are great, but True. that one is. True. Um, but you're going to superimpose, you know, the actual visual uh, lexicon of what they're describing <laughs> for no real purpose. It Agreed. just makes no sense. Agreed. And that's he, not the only movie he's done that in. No. Either. Yeah. No. And me and Dan have gone, uh, I think, in the same direction with this, but like the movie Sunshine, where oh, not, not visually, but he loses the thread there. Where, Completely yeah. in the third act. It so, becomes essentially a slasher, oh, which yeah. is not necessarily And a I'm bad all thing. for right, but it doesn't fit that movie. Exactly. But I will say, any given Sunday, every time I saw a new scene in which a character was having a deep moment <laughs> that was like embedded into their character arc, and then we're going to watch a weird superimposition of either lightning or a cheetah, <laughs> I'm like, 
And am I watching Lucy? And I love Lucy. The the movies. <laughs> the song. Yeah, I didn't even mean to do that. Of a bitch. Uh, yes. But no, the 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 Scarlett Johansson yeah. vehicle. I actually love. But there, that's, a, there, there that's is, a cheap popcorn movie. Okay. There is one part that I um, it's shown probably four or five times. I think in this movie, and every time I see it, I find it fascinating. Uh, and that is the lone figure sitting on the bench, and the figure is totally dark. I agree. And the bench is around because I feel like I've heard that described as somebody who's had brain injuries. That that is like yes, like a focused in thing that I've you read are like that that seeing. is like a concussion type yeah. thing. And right. I'm completely with completely with that. But, but there's a lot of other things. I was gonna say if you're gonna yeah. do that, that that's not such an important thing to highlight. So why are you also in every other scene making sure that this random person's going to see lightning? And this friend, you know, whatever. Yeah. It just doesn't, whatever. But. Well, I mean, honestly, this might be a crazy thing to say, but I, I actually wish the, say it. the film was longer. I honestly think <laughs> a, a four You madman. I know. <laughs> You're a madman. Uh, honestly, I love this movie, and it's definitely too long. Well, it probably <laughs> is as it currently stands, but I think, um, okay, so it's basically a group of stories about people in the business, right? Well, let's face it, it's the business of football, struggling with various issues slash problems or whatever, yes. right? What? And essentially, it's a workplace <laughs> drama, Which, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a workplace drama. Those were really good. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there doesn't in the end feel like there's any kind of unifying theme or subtext that lifts the film up and and ties all the struggles together. Now I understand they're all working towards the same purpose of, of trying to win that game, but they, it's, it's mostly just like, well, we all work for the same company, you know, I suppose, but here, I mean, that's here, just here, my here, take. Here's, but, here's where I'll retort a little bit. Go on. Yeah. Um, I feel like, it's it's true to a lot of careers in life, but sure. especially sports, where everyone is at a different part mm-hmm. of of their career. So it's hard to have a complete and it's it, it's it's on Oliver Stone a bit because sure. he's a filmmaker, so he has to make it all work together. But at the same time, I feel like this film is slightly ambitious because he's trying to show these stories of 10 to 12 different people and then have them all go together. But he is showing these people at different aspects of the organization and different parts of the careers on the team and different parts of the ownership group and whatever. And he's got to try to tie it all together and he tries to do it Mm -hmm. and not just have it be this story that just plays on. So in that part of it, I feel like, it works only because of what he's trying to do, not thematically, because sure. he gives the effort even if it doesn't really pan out. Well, it's tough because with Stone, um, I think of his best films, um, you know, like Salvador, uh, Wall Street, uh, JFK, Natural Born Killers, um, W even to an extent. He, he has this way of creating... <laughs> yeah, you're like... Yeah, but I, I mean, still only see it the ones. That's but... fair. That's fair. Uh, Wait, uh, you don't consider Nixon one of his best films? Oh, I do. I do. No, no. That's definitely in there, too. Because you didn't say it. <sighs> and then Nixon... Thank you. There you go, Nick. The God best damn. one. Nixon. I mean, if I think it's a fine one of his film, best, film, it must be one of his best. But, I mean, all of his best films show, like... Um, like a conflict or an injustice uh, on a, on a, on a smaller level involving characters that we all see mm-hmm. and like a microcosm. And mm-hmm. then he gradually sort of, as he goes, he pulls back and he reveals a larger system, 
that's in place that kind of props up and continues to feed that injustice. And, and I feel like with football, there's that perfect opportunity to talk about that. I mean, I almost feel like, again, I feel like he should have almost gone longer. And I mean, maybe it would have been better for uh, like a two or three part series or whatever, which at the time wasn't really a thing viable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I almost feel like he should have gone with like Soderbergh's traffic or, um, Linklater's um, Fast Food Nation or John Sayles' Eight Men Out, which are all films which, I mean, whatever you think of them, I love them all. We did Eight Men Out as part of our 200th episode. I know. I've been meaning to listen to that because I love that film so Oh, there's so a lot in that much. 200th episode between yeah. that and Licorice Quartet. Yes. And, and Tucson's, well, I was say, that's Tuc- a... Tucson's film that definitely has some uh, parts of it that are not so appetizing. I think that's one of our greatest episodes surely because of the gamut of that we run. And the fact that we watched all three films right. on that day and then recorded an episode. Oh, all on the same day. Yeah. Right? yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, but so I feel like if you had taken something like that, which, you know, uh, they're trying to show a, a larger sy- systemic context. And in doing so, I think the, the characters become more sympathetic. Well, and, and instead I feel like he goes yeah. for more of a, Again, I, I feel like it's not bad, but he goes for a slightly more, it feels more half-hearted ensemble with an emphasis on personal melodrama. And, and I, I, should, I should explain how, how, I, how I characterize melodrama. Um, there's nothing wrong with it, first of all. You know, we Thank all. You. Yes, I mean, I know you're a fan of Douglas Sirk, which is—it's actually that's unfair to even call that melodrama. I was gonna say back then that was a drama, <laughs> right? Exactly, and women's stories. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, I'm not trying to bash it because the individual stories in this film, I think, are somewhat interesting, in, mm-hmm. in each in their own way. Like you could probably make a film about each one and be like, okay, that's somewhat interesting, you know. But I think I can often tell the difference between a melodrama. And um, something that's like a great film is that a, a great film like brings all the strands together into a plot and it shows how the characters struggling uh, are part of a larger problem. You know what I mean? It's like usually a systemic one that keeps everybody trapped in a conflict. So it's like who, who benefits <laughs> but, from but, that but conflict? But wait, Al Pacino has that whole speech where he talks about, that's football, guys. Well, it's true. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm a, it's a game of inches. I, I also don't know why he sounds like Beetlejuice, so I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Every time I watch The Exorcist. No, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like the difference between... Like so, so a great film is like one where I feel like all these different strands end up getting tied together into a single um, theme or arc. While yeah. melodrama is more about individual strands, where it's like, okay, so there's a guy who's um, uh, trying to overcome like a possibly career-ending injury, mm-hmm. and you've got a guy who's okay. I'm going to be forced out at the end of the. But season. But that's what this, this movie coach. is. Absolutely, it will do yeah. all all those things. Yeah. And um, oh, I'm trying to prove myself to be a professional right. quarterback, and all mm-hmm. all those things are interesting in their way. But I feel like still never is able to like bring those disparate stories together into a there's nothing wrong with the stories i like the stories and i like the acting there too but there's a part of me that expects something from oliver stone that would bring like a systemic explanation like um i i think he he could have even gone and made more characters like he could have gone super macro and had like 
Yeah. You could have had more about the commissioner but, and the people in the league and the people who were other owners. And, and I especially think he could have done more about the advertisers because those are the guys who like super make this happen. And honestly, uh, I feel like, I feel like it's a, it's a little challenging though, because I feel well, like it, is. He, it would he, have to be a much longer film. He, he wanted to shit on metrics. <laughs> well, at the same time, that's a real company. Yeah. So he could only like do it a little bit and yeah. then still get them to give their brand to the <laughs> no, film. It's, it's a fucking tightrope. I get <laughs> Well, a little bit, I think I, I, no, it's very true. I, I, I only, I, I'll only slightly disagree because I feel like you're definitely onto something in terms of actual structure of the film mm-hmm. and about what he's done with previous works and sure. some of his works after this. Right. Um, he, he's clearly a, a, but at the same time, I feel like weirdly enough, and I, I don't know if there's any tape on this of him saying this. I know I kind of alluded to this earlier, but sure. I feel like. In a way, this probably was a passion project for him. I wondered that, too, because it seemed like it was so different from his other films. Yeah. I mean, most of his stuff was... well. Like, course... like, like This is the really random Stephen King book he wrote about baseball. <laughs> like, like, right. like well, why, why did you do this? And, and he made this <laughs> right. really random film about football, as Oliver Stone did. And, right. and I, I still, as someone who loves the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, sure. appreciate that part of it because... There is no unifying factor. Mm-hmm. You have all these different aspects of it, and di- people at different lives, and in different, sure. um, different, uh, I guess classes, right? Uh, yeah, different... different parts of their career, of course. Yeah, or, yeah. or or people who are, you know, look look at the the way that he portrays the owners in this. Like he portrays right. them as 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 these uppity just. Mm-hmm. Awful people who are listening to like Mozart in their oh, skybox yeah. as oh, yeah, they are sipping cocktails <laughs> and holding their fucking dogs and, and, and talking about, oh, look at these people down on the field oh, working yeah. really hard for our benefit. <laughs> yeah, look at look at these plebes, you know. Yeah, yeah but that's <laughs> it. Like like that 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 but but I feel like that's that's actually true. Oh, I think it is. I almost wish uh, I guess my my thing was that I I wish he had gone farther. And again, yeah. I think like you like Nick said earlier, mm-hmm. if it was a if it was a director who had done a bunch of other stuff that was more kind of workman like journeyman stuff, I'd be like, "Oh, this is a great film." Mm-hmm. But knowing Stone, I, I, I would have liked to have seen more like even the people who do like the grunt work, like the tech people and the ones who just like maintain the, the the cleanliness of the stadium. I think there was a bit and of I, that I, in the very first game. Like there, there was, there was, an, there was a lot of cross cutting between oh, sure. a lot of things from the referees to the the people who like go out and grab the ball. You know, all these yeah. whatever. Sure. And, and I feel like it lost the touch a little bit after that first well, like yeah. opening thirty minutes. Yeah, I think the the beginning is extremely strong because mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I mean, first of all, the editing is fantastic, and you have those cuts where they keep going back to um, uh, earlier versions of of football, like even going back like like 50 or 60 years yeah. i think you know and even they're showing they're even showing the fans from like a you know yeah. 50 or 60 or 70 years so so really quick it is like approaching 11 i was gonna PM. say okay so i'm I, gonna I, I, I was just gonna say if sure. we if we want to hang out and watch the movie yeah. i'm still good with it but we we need to make <laughs> that say, happen pretty quickly i will sound I will, like you're going into your final rating so why am, don't you i am um go so, into that well so i guess in the end uh 
I feel like the owners and the advertisers and the fans, we all are a part of it. Like, we're mm-hmm. all responsible. Mm-hmm. And I think we all sort of collude whether we know it or not. We yeah, all, sure. You know, we all 100%. Our, I mean, yeah. and, and I say this as somebody who used to watch football all the time when I was a kid, and I, mm-hmm. I don't exempt myself from this. We all want our, you know, we all want our pound of flesh, you know? And I think it would have been... No, int- but but the, other, the other part of that, though, is the idea, like, looking back at, like, Rome and gladiators and things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like, I feel like there's no question of why did this happen or how did this happen. Like, right. Th- this is something that you could easily, as a group of people, be brought into. And I don't know if it's wrong to just th- this idea right. of, of, of wanting to see other people do these things for your benefit. Right, sort of a vicarious atonement or whatever. Yeah, you know, and I l- get l- it. L- like it's 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 not great, <laughs> but at the same time, it's also like I, I don't know if it's something that you should feel guilty about. Well, it, it's hard. It, it, it's hard because it's a kind of a fine line. Well, <laughs> of course, in the uh, the gladiators, they were literally fighting to the death, and they were slaves. So they were slaves. It's it's but 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 well, but that's what I mentioned earlier. Like it is and it isn't like like they they are paid well, but yet they are still out there to do their right. job for our benefit. Well, it's, and, and, it's, it's, it's a, it, yeah, as a fan, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a weird place to be. It is exactly. And that's mm-hmm. how I always felt too. Sure. It's, is that you, there's that moment where you're like, well, you know, they are getting paid, but it's like, well, how much should we pay them to, you know, should we be paying injuring them? them, injuring, injuring themselves to that point? You know, yeah. it's like, I, I would have liked to have seen even just a couple of quick s- sketch portraits of um, even the fans. No, nothing big. Just a couple scenes like Soderbergh would do where you'd have like, oh, yeah, the people who are kind of driving this because they're all part of this cycle. I mean, there are a again, few quick cuts. I mean, you see the one fan punch out the other one. True. That's, that's a I weird inclusion. I, but I, I agree. It's I a weird inclusion, yeah. But, yeah. but it did seem like that was his attempt at that. I agree. I, and I, again, that's what I mean is about I would have liked to have seen a longer film because I think I could have seen how the fans like if we had gotten to know them by name I'm not talking about more than a couple minutes mm-hmm. but like I think it would have been a, a lot like um, Barry Champlain's listeners uh, talk, right. radio, talk radio yeah. where they're goading him on and yet at the same time he's it's a vicious cycle yeah. where one one group of people is basically um, like I said the the point is that we're all sort of culpable in a way and it's sort of it's, it's organized violence in the end. I mean, and mm-hmm. if somebody gets a concussion, or if somebody gets injured permanently, well, you know, it was all worth it for the lulls. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah. And and that's an unfortunate truth that that I think fans nowadays are really grappling with in the last like you know five or six years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you would say that, right? We're people are been talking about concussions and and, well, and that sort of thing, uh, and uh, and like permanent injuries to people. It's I mean, tough because. Let's be honest. Like this film came out in '99. Exactly. This yeah. is before the concussion right. problem was really mainstream. Rampant Absolutely. In the NFL, but people knew what was going on. Yeah. And they just disregarded it because they didn't want to think about it. Oh yeah, I remember. It's true. It's, it's, it, like I remember um, a player. I don't know if he was on the Eagles. Mm. I don't remember which team he was, but there was a player in the NFL who clearly had gotten a concussion. Sure. Like he had said, I don't know where I'm at. Right. And he was put back in the game. Oh, and it, wow. this was, this was, this was right before everything sort of broke. And it, it was sure. one of the more prominent examples, but at the same time, 
Like, it's hard because, like, as a fan, am I a bad person for watching that game and not, like, speaking out and being <laughs> angry about that? But I'm just Nick a view. is I'm, nodding right now, by the way. Okay, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm just... No, I, 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 I watch Woody Allen movies. I'm not no, judging it, anybody. But, no, I but, understand. But, 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 but I'm, I'm just a viewer, but I, sure. am I complicit at the same time? Like, it, it's... It, it's it's partially yes, and I don't mean that it, it, you no, no, specifically. I'm not. I'm not I'm, it's it's true. It's yeah, hard. Like I mean, like it's it's it's, it's, it's a it's a it's an open secret. Right. Like all of these things that the NFL does, like they had a bounty uh, scandal that happened during the height of their popularity. I mean, they're still very popular, but okay. during the height of their popularity in the late like 2008 2009, mm-hmm. they had a bounty scandal where a team, the New Orleans Saints, was. Uh, like whole, like uh, giving out money to players to try to injure people from the other team. Oh wow! And they got found out, and it didn't ruin them. Yeah. Right? It was. It was. It was all, still. Who well, they're they just kept on rolling. <laughs> okay. Um. But 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 it's 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 true. Like it's still true to this day. And Stone hits on it twenty years ago. Absolutely. Where he's talking about all these things, and people are just like, yeah. Well, it's 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 fucked up, and I wonder in some ways if if Oliver Stone in this is there's no way the but but it's hard because I feel this, I, but, I, but, it, like he, he's had, a fan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, and if yeah. they if they had done the film like uh, it was in 1999, but if they had done the film even like four years later, but especially if they had done it now, like after 9/11, there was such a jingoism that became part of it. There was this militarism. Uh, the commercials that mm-hmm. were part of it, the halftime show. Oh man, they they have a salute to service month, right? In right. The NFL. Which, it's all it's all it's all Trumpy garbage, right? Exactly. I have nothing yeah. against saluting service, but this is all very much clearly they, they, in the they, service. They did of a, that. They, uh, up until recently, they did the entire month of October was Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Oh really? Yet they gave no money to the cause. <laughs> okay, so well, well they just not... wanted people to be aware. They wanted people to be aware of breasts. Yeah, they wanted female but, uh, viewers. I, I mean, so, I, I, Dan, could al- I could almost see Stone, uh, Stone doing something almost like in uh, Billy Flynn's halftime, long halftime walk, <laughs> where there's sort of the jingoism is being, I mean, whatever you think of the movie, but I could see Stone doing it now. And, is that uh, an Ang Lee film? Yeah, it, it was, and it I is. never saw it. But It's actually either. not bad. Yeah. yeah. So, Dan, what is your final rating? <laughs> Three stars. Okay. That is completely fair. And you know what? I'm going to say that I echo that. I think that this is kind of a mess of a movie, but Mm. a movie that I find eminently watchable. I mean, I Mm. only watched it for the very first time this week. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I I, I could understand this being the movie where if I caught it on TV, I would watch it till the end, no matter what part I caught it This would not be good on cable. No, no, it would not. But like that is it is that kind of propulsive scene to scene movie, and I, I think pretty much the cast is uniformly excellent. I just think Oliver Stone himself didn't quite know exactly what he wanted to zero in on, so he decided to zero in on nothing and uh, depict everything. And sort of for a that, shotgun effect. Too. Yeah, and for that, I think it's uh, it's not bad. But unfortunately, I thought it could have been better, but very enjoyable. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as I mentioned multiple times, I'm a big fan of this, and, and I haven't always been, but, but recently I have been. Um, for the reasons that you guys have talked about, I actually think this is great, because it is very scatterbrained, which I feel like the National Football League, and just football in general, is, and the fact that it it creates this 
this this weird aura where there are people at different parts of their lives and different conflicting uh, interests. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and and he sort of focuses on every character, even though there are clearly main characters in this. Mm-hmm. He focuses on almost everyone who's in here at different parts. Yeah. I mean, even LL Cool J has a sure. pretty abrupt subplot where he shows up and, and he has almost an arc throughout the entirety of the film. Oh, yeah. Um, and I actually kind of appreciate that, even if it doesn't really work, as, as I, I agree with you guys that, that it's not in terms of a film sense. But I, but I appreciate the effort, mostly because... Um, there are 10 to 11 arcs throughout the entirety of the film. Right. Um, and I actually do think that it does end at a very satisfying conclusion because I do like that Cap Rooney, the Dennis Quaid character, does dive into the end zone very similarly to an early Willie Beeman touchdown. Uh, and he clearly knows it's the end of his career. Yeah. Um, and then we see Lauren Holly in the stand who's, giving a interesting performance. Uh, she's not a great actress, but that character is um, odd also too in this film. I think Oliver Stone's treatment of women in this film is deplorable. Um, and I guess that's on purpose, but at the same time, ah, but from his career, I, I don't know if that's um, not par for the course, but at the same time, in, in in this film, it's it's pretty heavy handed uh, that that they are portrayed as is as problematic, which is 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 bizarre. That's fair. Yeah, that's that's fair to an extent. Yes. Yeah, at least in this specific film. Sure. Um, and then just seeing the way that everybody has their moment towards the end, everyone reaches their conclusion, mm-hmm. their cathartic moment, their end of their arc in this, whether it is LL Cool J. Or Dennis Quaid, as I mentioned, even you know random characters, kind of like Aaron Eckhart, and then obviously with Al Pacino and Jamie Fox, sure. um, everyone gets their moment in the last game or the last part of the film. Even Cameron Diaz mm-hmm. uh, has her ending moment where she has her aha moment, and then she moves on uh, to her new part of her cycle that she's going through. Sure. So I appreciate that. I love a lot of the conclusion of the actual football players. Um, and I love the authenticity of this movie because there are so many sports films, specifically football, that try to like show this good story. And these are good movies. Like, mm. I don't mind movies like um, what's the Mark Wahlberg one where he's invincible. In- yeah, that's not bad. Like, I like Remember the Titans. I like a lot of of football films um, that I've seen over the years. But at the same time, I feel like this film is honest about a lot of things that are happening, especially in the NFL. Yeah. I should say that I have to admit the impact, the sound of the impact is, is sounds bone crushing. Yeah. They're, they're not, you know, papering over that. And I really appreciate that. And even that scene near the beginning where uh, Dennis Quaid has got the, uh, you can see his fingers grabbing the grass. Grabbing they the grass, show that multiple times throughout the film. Right. And he's suppressing that scream. It sounds totally legit to me. And I, and I appreciate the honesty. There's so that. many of those speeches in this game. That, that is kind of funny about Al Pacino. Cause he, I think he has like three or four things where he's talking about different things. Like he talks about, that's just football guys. He also has like, I, I just keep thinking to myself, like of him just like giving these random motivational speeches <laughs> that mean nothing. And he's just like talking about, well, 
that's getting your nails done, guys. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it just, there's, there's just some about the way he's just describing, like, everything. Like, he's giving this weird wisdom, yet it's coming from, like, Smoker's voice, Al Pacino. Right. right. I don't know. And you compare that to, like, his, his same performance in The Insider, where he's really dialed back in same, from the same year. You know what yeah. I mean? It's interesting. I, think, I, I actually think Al Pacino's great in this. Mm, mm. I think this is one of his better roles from this era. Um, and, and, I mean, he, this is probably his peak i mean maybe it's mm. earlier like about a decade earlier like send of a woman mm. and, and and that era and i mean before that then to um dog day afternoon and things like that but sure. but for him like before he really fell off like this was the his last big era in the late 90s early 2000s before he became a shell of himself <laughs> um and and i think he delivers here and, and he's great and i think Pretty much everyone else in this movie is really good, and mm. I, I, I'm a really big fan. So um, I dial my rating back a little bit. I gave it four out of five. I mm. think this is a very good film and a film that has grown on me big time over the years. Um, and even though there are definitely faults here, I, I'm a huge fan. So four out of five for me for any given Sunday. Right on. Anyone else out there who has thoughts on this film, always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Or search us out on Facebook or Twitter, also at Film Tank Show. Coming up on our next episode, we're going to talk about the uh, Robert De Niro film, The Deer Hunter. Nice. I have uh, still not seen it, and I, I think the only person that's seen it, at least um, on the episode that we're going to plan for, because I know Anna has not seen it and she's been suggested it, uh, is Nick, who just saw it for the first time this year, and yep. you were a big fan. Big fan. Okay. So, looking forward to that, and that'll be coming up on our next episode. Dan, as always, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Sorry about getting a little long-winded at the end. We we expected it at this point, so it's okay. I know, but I was really, I only had four pages of notes as opposed to nine or ten. Sure. (laughs) Um, So, from Dan and Nick and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much to everyone else out there who is listening to us here at Film Tank. Look forward to catching up with you next time.